Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. A woman done left and took all the reason I was working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Brian Hughes. Okay, I got a question here. When have we ever done an old and decrepit episode of Third Degree Burn? <laughs> well, it's wait, always no, brand it's, new. It's always brand new. It is always yeah. brand new. That's cool. Sparkly, okay, that's, new, that's... got that new podcast smell. Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, hey, everybody. How's it going? Oh yeah, that was the Scott Gardner thing. You can't watch. I, I can't help myself. That's that's been one of my things all my. You know, it's like when I was younger, I, it wasn't always just you know how's it going, like like uh, doing a Sylvester Stallone. Hey, how you doing? You know. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, well, how, so what we how, do tonight, how Brian? You, well, how are you doing, Brian? <laughs> I'm I'm doing pretty good. Um, I mean, like, I, and, and I'm sure you know this is going to come as no surprise to our listeners. Uh, both Tim and I have been pulled through the ringers by our jobs. Um, we're, we're in much demand. Um, you know, if we were any better at our jobs, we'd be rock stars. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying nobody, the thing is nobody else wants to do my job where I work. So, we, <laughs> so nobody's volunteering to, to transfer into our department. So, well, you know, in my job, they're flying me around the country to different places They're sending me to conferences. You know, I, I'm getting to do a lot of stuff. I, I went to Atlanta just a few weeks ago. Um, well, Alpharetta, Georgia, actually. Um, and then last week they had a conference. It was uh, actually here in DFW. It was in Dallas. And uh, it was for Verant, the company that uh, helps us to record all the phone calls. And so they had a lot of new technology and some other things they wanted to show. And I got to, to see a lot of different people and, and uh, talk about the products that we're using and how we're using them, you know, help some people and whatnot. That was a lot of fun. That's cool. Next month, uh, my whole team is flying up to Franklin Lakes, New Jersey for a little confab the week after 4th of July. And um, then if the news that you and I have heard is true, maybe, just maybe – we may show up in Boston at the same time. I'm hoping so. I know if Neil and I are going to go because we've got, we I think we've got a fair amount of miles. We're just going to uh, be able to go up there. But I saw that and I thought and I asked first thing I asked her. I said, "Do you want to you want to go up to Boston for a uh, for a con?" She goes, "Yeah," because she's been wanting to go to Salem for a while. So yeah, maybe, maybe you could go to Burkittsville too and and you know look up that uh, that witch gal <laughs> from the from you know that that would be fun. Just make sure to take plenty of video cameras and compasses with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if y'all aren't sure what we're talking about, um, it has come to pass that both William Shatner and John Byrne, and I actually should say John Byrne and William Shatner are going to be at the Fan Expo in Boston. And then also another one a couple weeks later in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're at the end of, at the end of August and then, uh, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm, it's the the first one's actually uh, what the the first week of August. It's uh, July twenty twenty eight. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, July twenty eighth. Yeah, it's, it's late. late no, no, July. no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. It is August. It's like August eighth or something like that. So it is first uh, week. And then you're on the right. last week of August, first week of September, they're going to be in Canada. 
Uh, and, and apparently Shatner actually made this happen because he's actually likes the new visions, Star Trek new visions. Why not? He's got his face and, plastered all over. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, Burns going to go to these two conventions with Shatner and apparently they're going to do something together. There's going to be a special edition of new visions, uh, uh, provided at the convention i'm sure it's going to be part of the admission or you'll have to buy it separately and you know i mean it again you know where the regular books are like eight bucks but i think it's going to be like a trade paperback of uh multiple uh like issues a, like a compilation yeah and, and ticket. It, oh go ahead if you haven't heard uh and i'm sure you have uh issue 22 is the last issue of star trek new visions that burn is doing i had not heard that yeah, right now he is in, uh, as he says, he's in unemployment. Not retired, but unemployment. And it's the first time he's ever done this in his life since he started working when he was younger. And he's kind of enjoying it. So right does that now. mean they have canceled the book or he is just, he is voluntarily stepping away from it? Well, Chris Rael was his editor there and he had a very good relationship with him. Well, he has moved over to another com company. And we may get notification here within the next few days or weeks that Byrne is going to be working on a project, but I think it's going to be a one-off. He, like I said, he's enjoying this, 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 the freedom that he's got, and he's getting royalty checks. He actually got a royalty check today for just eleven hundred dollars. A lot of little ticky-tacky things that have been going on, but he's going to be getting some more royalty checks, especially as uh, X-Men: Dark Phoenix uh, comes out. Because uh, he, of course, is part of the story, uh, you know, story creator on that um, that storyline. But true, you true. know, you know, he's not doing his commissions. He's not uh, doing any kind of uh, pencil art at all. He's got he hasn't had much of a a spark in him to to do that. And so apparently, he's lost his joy in that kind of work. I think if he steps away for a while, he'll rediscover it because I don't think he can stay. I think he has to have some kind of creative outlet. So he, well, he I don't think he'll be able to stay away from it. And, and New Visions long. was giving him that. And then when Chris Rael left, well, the, the thing is where Chris Rael is right now, one of the properties they have is Dick Tracy. And he says to John, he goes, hey, John, would you like to do Dick Tracy? They'd love to have you do it. And so he actually worked up some sketches. He was working up character models. But then he realized the same problem that he had with Batman. Dick Tracy is a detective. Mm -hmm. And he just doesn't like writing detective stories. So he's like, nah, I think I'm going to pass. What I would love to see him do something is like Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers, something like that. That would be that would be really cool. Now, the thing is, would you ask him to revamp it or would you ask him to do it in the original style? Or kind of he could, meld the two I together. I think he can meld. I mean, I, I would, I would want it to have kind of a retro feel, but maybe, a, maybe a cross between the original and the uh, Gil Gerard Buck Rogers or the the Flash Gordon movie of the of the nineteen eighty. Certainly, the Flash Gordon has that has that uh, uh, pulpy uh, serial feel to it. I don't. Yeah. I would want him to do like a really. I wouldn't want a really high tech kind of. You know his like typical burn tech type approach where it's modern time. You know it can you know, and it doesn't have to tell the origin story. It can be doesn't have to necessarily take place in say in the 30s or the 40s. Just I would like it to have uh, uh, just a retro feel to it, kind of yeah. like he does his 
Well, he could do. He can. He can certainly do that style. He can do any style. But I know. I think he'd have a lot of fun doing that because it's not. It's just. It's just action adventure. It's just fun. Right. Right. And you know the thing is, is that like with uh, Marvel and DC, the editorial staff that uh, had been at both shops over the last couple of years, he's not uh, had any kind of relationship with. And he's basically refused to to work with those guys. Now, Marvel, of course, has had some turnover, but they're not really in a good place. And the, as Byrne has said on, on his own website, the characters are you know pretty much beyond recognition to anything that you know he could work on or would work on. So it's it would be nigh impossible to get him working for either of the big two at this point. And, you know, he said everything he wanted to say with next men. Um, so yeah, he, would have to go outside to some other property, but you know, the thing is, is it, like the reason why he did star Trek so much is that he's got pretty much as, as he says, OCD on star Trek. And, and so that's kept him in there, kept him loving it and kept him doing the work. But you know, the thing is he wants to make sure he's going to be, treated honestly treated fairly and so when chris rial left he just figured i think he figured that that was the best time to go ahead and step away and he could he could he could follow him over he could uh i mean there's any number of properties if he doesn't necessarily want to create something like you said next men or or um was it triple helix or or trio trio any of any of those type uh stories that he came up with you know i'd love to see him do an indiana jones I think that'd be great if he did. He really hated working on that, though. You know that when he when he, and this is something that it's something we would probably save for a show that we were going to do with a couple other guys. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of history with him and you know the Indiana Jones property when he was at Marvel and and he did the first two issues of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. It was very unpleasant to work with it. Number one, character likeness. Number two was just that um, the movie company is Paramount. Uh, is yes, that right? Paramount. Yeah, Paramount, you know, kept such a firm hand on everything that they rejected a lot of things. And it made it a very unfun job to do. And so he just didn't ever want to do it again. And I'm sure working on most intellectual properties nowadays that you are going to have some kind of uh, tight control as to what you can cannot do with their characters. It seems that with Star Trek and the New Visions, he can do whatever he wanted to. He pretty much had kind of carte blanche. Um, yeah, I guess within a certain extent. But uh, he could. I mean, he doesn't have. You know, he could do. Uh, what was he did? Did you read his? He did a cold. I think it was called Cold War, wasn't it? He did kind of a spy book, like a four issue. You know, I haven't read it. I really want to. Um, that kind of stuff. I, I, haven't, I haven't been searching for it. I, I, I could probably search it. I did find um, all of the. Well, I, I actually bought it digitally. I bought the highways, and I read that. And I think I read that in like two hours, the whole thing. Yeah. And I was actually, you know, it's like disappointed that it ended when it did. I figured that was a story he actually could have stretched out more and, and expanded on more. Um, and he created some some decent characters in there. But I've been wanting to look at that one as well. And uh, so at some point here, I'll probably buy it uh, digitally because I, I don't know that. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a physical copy of it. Have you? I have. 
a couple issues of it. I don't think I've read them. I just just huh. it's like diving through the bins and I found it. It's like what's this? And I picked it up. So I've got maybe issue one or issue uh, two and four, or something like that. I've got some low numbers. I don't think it went very high, did it? I don't know what the final issue count. Was. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it was probably four or or less. Yeah. But, you know, I mean. Because you know, he's very careful about doing properties like that, you know, because he knows how the 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 purchase count drops after each issue, especially after number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it I, but yeah, I definitely want to look for that and 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 see if I come across it. I I, I got to say though, I've been buying a lot digitally lately. I bought the Infinity Gauntlet and a couple other of those books lately, uh, digitally because it wasn't expensive. What's your uh? Uh, method of purchasing are you going through a comicology or no i i actually, amazon or I, I use the two true freaks link and i go to amazon and i buy my comics that way um you know i, I basically search around and yeah, of course obviously i'm searching a lot for a lot of stuff for burn mm-hmm. but i'll search I'll, I'll do digital searches you know for for just the digital books and I'm able to find those things. There's been a lot of really good stuff I've been able to get for 99 cents. Yeah, I picked and, up yeah. uh, his alien story, Earth Angel, because I swore I had a digital version of it and I wanted to cover it on the show. And I, I've looked up and down. I couldn't find it. So I finally just bought, I think it was you know, a buck. I just bought um, the digital copy of it through Amazon. Yeah. See, I thought I had a digital copy of it. I mean, I, I had a digital copy of it, but it turned out it wasn't good. Hmm. The uh, first couple pages were full, and then after that, it was like bits and pieces were missing. Because uh, I think nice. I pulled it pulled it down in a torrent back in the days when I actually did that kind of stuff, hmm. and uh, you know I, I didn't get a complete download of it. That's cool. So yeah. Anyway, uh, before we get into the book, there's a couple things that we want to talk about. Now, a couple months back, and this is going back a couple months, Tim and I went and saw uh, with a, with our no, I was with my family, but I don't think you were with Fanula. I think it was just you that no, day. No, Fanula came. Fanula came. Fanula came. Nope, yeah, we went, and, we went and saw the Black yeah. Panther. And, you know, if you remember, I mean, everybody else has been screaming the praises of the Black Panther. And I, I liked the movie. I did like the movie. I have one big complaint, though. And do you remember what that was? Uh, I, I I've slept since then. I don't remember what. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, if you haven't seen Black Panther yet, and you probably should have by now because at least half the world's population has done it, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might want to stop listening for at least the next, you know, two to three minutes because I'm going to give a very important part of the movie away. So spoilers for Black Panther. Yep, right here. Okay, so when T'Challa has to fight Killmonger, uh, and you know T'Challa takes whatever it is that takes his Black Panther powers away. Mm-hmm. They get into their fight, and Killmonger Stone Cold beats him. He defeats T'Challa. He was at the point where he was about to kill him. He was making the killing blow, and someone stopped him from doing it. You know, mm-hmm. by all rights, by the law of Wakanda, by everything else, T'Challa lost. That right, it, that right there was it. He no longer deserved the right of being the Black Panther. And it wasn't because he was hurt. It wasn't because of anything other than Killmonger was better. Killmonger was more prepared. Killmonger was, was there to, for that fight. He just beat him. It wasn't, you know, anything else. And then, of course, you know, 
T'Challa gets, uh, you know, they, they fight a little bit longer and he throws T'Challa over the waterfall and he survives that, of course, and comes back and finds a way of winning and, you know, winning, basically winning the movie. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was, I, I, I thought that that was kind of poorly done. It, it, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that Killmonger was the rightful winner. Well, people have pointed out that Kill for, and then that's one the one reason I think that people point to that it's uh, a more complex movie, uh, a deeper movie. And I, I'll, I'll say I liked the movie a lot. I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, me too. I did a lot, quite a lot. It's because it's not, you know, they 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 say how it's very original and it's unlike other Marvel movies, and it's not. It's 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 a standard origin story. Uh, good guy beats bad guy bad guy wants to take over the good guys you know kingdom or or position or or, or whatever it wants to be so but besides all that uh killmonger was right he he said wakanda cannot stay hidden anymore now he wanted to come out and kind of take like like most uh, villains, he wanted to take control and thought his role should be, you know, Wakanda with its advanced technology should rule everything. Right, right. And he, he, I'm sure he told himself that he would be a benign ruler, but we, you know, we'll we'll tell the world how everything should be. And I, I had no, no, <laughs> there was nothing in me that told me he was going to be a benign no, ruler. He well, even thought he was no, going to be a benign but ruler. like all great villains. Uh, they think they're he, right. He doesn't. Look, he didn't. He didn't think he was the villain. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say is that Killmonger was a thug, a very well prepared thug, but he was just a thug. He's an enforcer. He's the. He's an Al Capone. He's not a ruler. You know, he's the boss you put out in front because you know he looks good, but well, he's uneducated and he's not. He was a thug. Well, he also thought that he had he had the right to the throne because his father had been killed. But yeah, uh, which is actually that's true. That's how he actually was able to 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 participate in the fight. That he did have a right because he was his. He had cousin. the right to challenge it. And right, right. The, the, the thing is, he won. He did win, and he you know at that point he was the rightful ruler of Wakanda. Now, T'Challa survived. Because of the interference from the outside, mm-hmm. and T'Challa came back. Now, should T'Challa have been able to challenge him for the right to rule again? Well, that, what, you know, it, it's you know that that right there is is the argument, and I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know what side to come up on yet. I've got to watch the movie again, and of course, now you can you can buy it, mm-hmm. you can own it. So, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know, what, I don't know what the rules are. If if once defeated, can you never challenge? For rule again, or is it just you can challenge many times you want, and, and uh, you know if you lose, you lose. Uh, but I, that's what I thought was interesting that that what Killmonger wanted to do was kind of what, and I can't remember uh, the uh, T'Challa's kind of love interest was also saying that you know Wakanda, we can help people. You know, we need to right. not stay hidden behind our shields. We need to come out, and we've got all this advanced technology, and we can make the world a better place. And ultimately, that's what he does. But um, yeah, that was. But was, but we got to see other. We got to see Mane. We got to see Mbaku, and uh, of course, the, the way things turned out for that for, for uh, Infinity War mm-hmm. uh, was was really impressive. I liked how they handled that in Wakanda and all that. We got to see Claw, and I kind of wish they hadn't 
uh, done away with him because I'd like to see him come back. Well, I mean, he, he, there's nothing that says that he won't come back. Yeah. He just won't be like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll be his uh, being of a solidified sound like he is in the comics. Yeah. That being said, uh, definitely, you know, a good, a very good movie, something worth uh, a lot of watchability. And then we have Infinity War. And I have no idea what your thoughts are, Infinity War. You and I haven't really spoken about it. I spoken since <laughs> since it came out. Okay, spoilers for Infinity War too. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. So yeah be warned, we are going to spoil Infinity Infinity War. I I went to it by myself. Neil didn't want to go, and I saw it in IMAX. I didn't see it in 3D, and I just had a blast. It was. I haven't been. Scott Gardner said it once. He said that's he he had enjoyed a movie like that since The Empire Strikes Back. Right. And it's been a while since I've been in a theater where you kind of get chills and you kind of get caught up in the moment. And the, there are several moments in here. The the Captain America scene when he first appears. Yeah. That got a, a round of applause from my uh, my theater. Uh, and a couple of the, the, when the scene with Thor comes back. Yes. Know, oh, my gosh. And Wakanda. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. And then the one that... that really choked me up is the scene with Spider-Man and Tony Stark at the end. Okay, I gotta say, though, um, I think that scene is incredibly telling of one thing. And and every other person as they as they dissolve, mm-hmm. after Thanos snapped his finger, everybody it took them five seconds each. If they start, once it happened, five seconds and they were gone. All right? Peter Parker took a good 30 seconds to dissolve there, enough time that he could actually hug Tony. Mm-hmm. And one of the most heart-wrenching scenes I've seen in a movie in a long time, my wife was inconsolable. But she was inconsolable from the beginning, uh, the first few minutes when Heimdall uh, mm-hmm. had his had his moment. And um, But, you know, the fact that Peter took so long told me that Peter wasn't one of the, the half – that was an extra twist of the knife by Thanos. That was a shot at Tony right there. Could be. Could be. I mean, I, I think we all know that, and I've, I've, I've heard this, that anybody that that died before he snapped his fingers is dead. Yeah, is dead. Anybody after that, the, basically anybody who dissolves. Well, what about Gamora? <clears throat> well, here, and, and the reason, Gamora's in the soul stone as far as I understand it. Right. Her, her, her soul is trapped in it, so... And he said you have to when you know, when Thanos to get it, he had to give up a life to get it. Right, trade a soul. They think that somebody is gonna have to sacrifice themselves to bring her back and basically to trade their Well, who's soul. the one person that would do that? Well, you have to think of who is gonna leave the series. It's either Robert Dunnett Jr. No, no, it's gonna be Nebula. Could be Nebula. I, that's yeah. If she wants yeah, if she wants to leave the I, I was trying to think who might be Nebula is the most is the most logical choice. It mm-hmm. can't be anybody, any of the other Guardians. Because um, you're not going to get you're you're not going to let Chris Pratt go. No, that doesn't make any sense. He'll he'll want to do it. He will. And I don't understand all the anger and hate towards Chris Pratt right now. Uh, either, I mean, again, this is on the the boards for people that are just talking about the the movie and all that, but they're pissed off at Star Lord because he prevented them from beating Thanos right there. And it's like it's like Chris Pratt's getting slapped around all that's, of a sudden. That's stupid. I mean, I think he realizes <laughs> what he did, but that's. I mean, he did that, and the, the 
It's like the heat of the moment. He was caught up. I mean, he... We, and that's why they needed Tony there, because Tony had gone through that just not too long ago with, with Captain America and the Winter Soldier. The exact same thing. He saw it. There was nothing he could do to stop it. And that was to let us, that was to let the audience know, don't blame him. You can't help how you feel. Yeah. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't, I mean, uh, who hasn't done something that uh, when your emotions take over and you do something which maybe it, you know what you shouldn't be doing, but you do it anyway, or you just don't realize until after you've done it. I mean, that's, I mean, obvi- obviously for the, the sake of the movie, it had to happen. Because they weren't going to yeah. stop Thanos. And it also gives a little character development for Chris Pat because now he's got this guilt weighing over him. So maybe that's why maybe he is going to try to sacrifice himself to bring Gamora back. But then maybe Nebula steps up and says no because they kind of reconnected because she saved um, Nebula. So she may give up her life uh, to bring because she knows that. Uh, that Star-Lord and Gamora are going to be happy together so she's going to give up her life so they can come back uh, and they can be together so I think you're right I think if somebody's going to unless Groot's going to sacrifice himself again Groot? Yeah Groot's already gone Groot, Groot oh, that's dissolved Oh that's right that's right Rocket <clears throat> is the only only member of the Guardians that actually survived so even even Star-Lord can't can't do anything it's going to have to be Nebula she she, well Rocket and, and Nebula are are, are alive yeah now the thing is and, and uh, i found this out from uh the the director of the guardians movies is it sean gunn james gunn james gunn that's right sean gunn's the one that plays um that does rockets body uh, motion and he also is the second he was uh Yandu's second right right um anyway anyway um james gunn basically said that when groot said his last i am groot as he was dissolving do you know what he said mm-hmm Dad, talking about the rock to rocket, yeah. Oh, and I, I mean, again, it just breaks the heart. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that was a, an incredibly hard day seeing that movie in the theaters, it, as you know, all the characters died that they did. And for my wife, it was even tougher because you know, we came home and she's just like, you know, it's gonna take me a while to get over this movie, it was just so hard. And as I understand it, it was much harder on the moviegoers that were just the moviegoers. Versus the comic book readers, because they don't know they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know that obviously they're all going to. It's going to get. And and somebody pointed out, we see exactly what's going to happen because Thanos himself does it when he brings back the Vision. Obviously, the Infinity Gauntlet can turn back time. Right. Right. Now, I would love if they bring the Vision back. They bring him back as the All White, or you know, leave him as that kind of gray, because basically an homage to what Byrne did to him in West Coast Avengers. Yeah. Well, that would be kind of cool. So we're talking about the but, vision. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Well, okay. When you first see him in Wanda, and they're in, uh, they're in Germany Scotland. or Czech, Scotland. 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 Yeah. Uh, he appears human. Right. So is that just an ability he suddenly has, or has he got an image inducer? Why is he? I think it's an ability he has. Come on, he made the cape out of nothing. Yeah, but he's never appeared human before, so I just didn't know if that was just something suddenly he's. He's as, learned. As he has evolved, yeah. and he's going to continue to evolve, you know, he's going to gain, you know, he's going to become more and more able to do different things. Yeah. They haven't shown him do the whole mass thing, go diamond hard versus, you know, I mean, they've shown him go intangible, mm-hmm. but they haven't shown him go diamond hard. That would be really cool if they if they do that, if and when. Um, but yeah, and, and golly, that, you know, just, you know... <laughs> 
Beth was sitting there. She was lamenting over the vision in Scarlet Witch because she just thought that was a, the, you know, the, the greatest thing. And then, of course, to see what happens there. And again, Heimdall and Peter and, and all the stuff that went in between. And then that night when we're at home, we're watching Fear the Walking Dead. And spoiler, if you guys aren't aware, they killed the main character. I don't watch Fear the Walking Dead, so I don't know. Uh, Frank Delane played um, this character on there. He was basically a junkie. And he became an incredibly adept survivor in the the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a very compelling character. You you may have seen him in uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. He played young Voldemort in the the memories. That they, oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. I know that is. And uh, his father played Stannis Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Okay. The, the, the actor. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, but they, they killed his character on Fear of the Walking Dead, and it was just a complete and utter shock because AMC just kept it a complete secret, and they didn't say anything until as soon as the episode started to air, all the stories about him actually leaving the show finally broke. Broke, yeah. But it was they kept it a secret all that time, and it was just like wow, you know, just like uh, Marvel and DC were able to keep a secret as to uh, you know exactly who bit the dust in, in a more metaphorical way <laughs> in uh, in Infinity War. Yep. That being said, um, slam dunk, home run, uh, one of my favorite movie, definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, I've already watched it twice. Uh, and it's it's more enjoyable the second time since you know what's going on. And you see so many things. Obviously, Doctor Strange figures very prominently into the story that's happened and what's gonna what's going to happen. Yeah. How cool is his fight scenes when he's going after Thanos? Oh my god. Awesome. The effects are awesome. so and they do such a great job because you get so many characters, but you spend a little bit of time with each one of them and it's not too much to overstay their welcome, so it really you don't you never feel lost. You know kind of where everybody is. You know have trouble following the story. Uh, it's got some cool surprises. Peter Dinklage, I didn't know was in it. That was a great. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew he was in it. I just didn't know who he was going to be. Yeah. And that was brilliant. That 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 right there was just a brilliant thing. And it didn't take me out of the movie at all. No, no. So I just I just thought I, I thought it was odd. And uh, the Red Skull. I didn't know he was going to uh, be in it. Now that, um, of course, wasn't Hugo Weaving. It was no. Ross Mark Ross Marquand. Um, he's on The Walking Dead, the regular show, and he is also a great impressionist. Uh, if you go onto YouTube and look him up, you will see. You know, he's better than Kevin Spacey at doing all the impressions. And we're not going to get any more impressions from Kevin Spacey anyway. No. So it's good that we've got someone to come along. <laughs> and so he did a great job at, at taking over the Red Skull as it was. And just having the Red Skull be where he is yeah. to show that there was a price to pay for his hubris. That was, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. I still want to see a MODOK, though. MODOK would be cool. I've seen they had him in some of the cartoons, but MODOK would be pretty... Uh... Well, I would say this, too. I would give it... Uh... I think Josh Brolin did a fantastic job as Thanos. Oh yeah, he was not. He, was, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't two dimensional. He had a point of view. He had. A, he wasn't just. Yeah, but okay, okay. I, I got one question though. If you've got the Infinity Gauntlet and you can do anything, why not just double the resources instead of having the people make enough resources to handle the people? But what I know is that. 
when uh, a good example are um, they've come across a number of tribes in a number of different lands, islands, other countries and areas where the people are just starving. Mm. And because, of course, the resources are low. If you provide them enough resources to survive, they get healthy and they make a whole lot of babies and they run out of resources again. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, it's just, it's just going to yeah. same with same with what he did. It's just going to take longer for the the universe to fill up again. And he's going to do it all over again. Well, it won't be him. <laughs> well, true. Yeah, you, I, th- I think you know you get one bite at that <laughs> big an apple, unfortunately. And it, it, the, the other thing is that, is that there to use the Infinity Gauntlet, there has to be a cost more than just you know the the, the trading of a soul. There's got to be a tangible physical or mental or to the soul there's got to be a cost and uh, you know we'll probably get to see what that is you know in the in the next movie yeah well whatever 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 uh steven strange saw you know he said he witnessed how many how many millions of variations 14 million yeah, plus like, yeah. how many uh, how many do we do we win any of he said just one just one, and we know that this is the one yeah. based on what Strange says. Yeah, so it had to be. But uh, I just think, uh, do you watch? Are you fans of the the rebooted Planet of the Apes movies? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, okay. I, I say that um, I really love Rise. I think Rise is one of the one of the more brilliant movies to come out in the last ten years. Is that the second one or the first one? That's the first one. Okay. That's the first one. The second one. Dawn, right? Yeah, Dawn. Uh, Dawn was just to me a very predictable movie, but also it's got that actor in it that I cannot stand. He was also John Connor. Jason Clark. Yeah, Jason Clark. Um, he's not to me a compelling actor. He's got no charisma. Hey, he's not. Um, at least he's not Jack Courtney. But I like Jack Courtney in Suicide Squad. I liked him in that, and I didn't hate him in that Terminator movie. I liked the thing is like Jason Clark. You know, brought enough suckage to that movie that uh, Jay Courtney didn't suck. Well, I mean, he wasn't Kyle Reese to me that, uh, that much. Uh, that much is certain. I don't think anybody. Only person I enjoyed in that whole film was Arnie because I thought Arnie was enjoying himself. Yes. Uh, uh, the girl from Game of Thrones. I cannot remember her name. I thought she was um, um, Amelia Clark, and yeah, I mean, she was playing Sarah Connor. She was awful. I thought. No, awful. I I, th- I thought she was fine. Of course, uh, she's also coming up in another movie. Uh, very soon. Oh yeah, Han Solo, she's in that. And uh, I've been getting a couple uh, unspoilery reviews from some friends that have seen it already, and they say they really love it. Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back to the apes, and and yep. By the way, yep. uh, Paul Spataro just did a uh, a very nice episode on War of the Planet of the Apes, the last one on his. Is it Jaws? Um, now that's uh, that that's the new one or the original? That's the last one, the 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 third one. Woody Harrelson. Right, right. Okay, I, and see the thing is, I I haven't seen that one because of what Don did. Don, I mean, Don was just kind of just so predictable in every way. Well, that's... both from from the ape side and the human side, and they even brought in a guy that only plays the bad, stupid people that you know pokes the bear. Tommy Harrelson? Uh, no, no. There was a there was a guy uh, that was with them. They made him sit in the car, and of course the the one Gibbon comes out and starts playing like he's you know just a stupid ape and. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know Tommy. Well, the consensus on that show was that, and there, then he I can't and I I don't remember who his guest was. 
He actually had two guests. Uh, they, their consensus was this one, the second one, the one you don't like, is probably the best. First one's good. This last one is just a little bit below that. I've seen it. I thought it was overly, it felt overly long mm-hmm. and very slow. But yeah, <clears throat> but that's, this is not a plan of the ace box. What my point was, people are always raving about Andy Serkis and his mocap because he does, you know, he's Caesar in all three of those and how right. great it is. Well, I think Josh Brolin gets every bit, should have every bit um, as much praise heaped on him because I thought, I mean, granted, it's his performance, his voice, and then <clears throat> some is going along and they're digitally, you know, replacing Thanos. So if mm-hmm. I think you have to give the technicians and the actor credit, but I thought Josh Brolin did a great job. And as a nice segue, he did it even, or just as nice a job in Deadpool 2 yes. as Cable. Yes, and I'll, I'll even go go uh, one further on there. Um, you know, if you watch Men in Black Three, he was mm-hmm. the best part of that movie. He did. Was he not he, he, a, just fantastic? On I think he's very underrated as an actor. You know, I, I the thing is, I recognized him as a little boy in in the Goonies when he you know he was the older brother, mm-hmm. and um, I've never liked his father as an actor. Um, and of course, the last time I saw his father in anything, I think was the West Wing, James Brolin. Yeah, I think his father uh, is more of a is, was always more of a TV actor, and James is obviously or Josh has obviously made it. Well, I mean, obviously yeah. he's he's the villain or not? Well, not the villain, but he's got two big parts in two major comic book movies this year. Yeah, and and just yeah, his cable was really just everything you wanted it to be, and there were some times when he just seemed to be channeling Arnold in that movie <laughs> you know when he's looking in the mirror at himself and it made me think of the the mirror scene in the original terminator, terminator movie yeah you yeah get some terminator vibes it's funny because yeah. after Fanula, after we went inside it was like is he really that cut is he really that buff i said i don't know maybe make it but he's, he probably got in shape to do the film yeah yeah i'm pretty sure he did and of course you know he's sitting there around you know chris evans and robert downey jr and chris pratt and you know they're all pumping iron all day long as they're sitting there waiting to to shoot their scenes. Mm-hmm. It, it's not as testosterone filled as say the the cast of Predator. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils, huh? No, no. But <laughs> but it, it's it's still gonna sit there and drive you, especially if you're supposed to be beating all their butts. <laughs> You know, it's like you, you, you definitely want to be, you know, as, as, as in good a shape as the rest of them. Yeah, definitely. Now, weren't we supposed to be talking about a book? I think we're supposed to talk about uh, something. <laughs> this is not the movie podcast. All right. Well, I, I'll tell you what. Let's take a break here and we'll play a promo. And then when we come back, we're going to go ahead and go all the way back to, is it 1979? Nah, March 1979. March 1979 to talk about Avengers 181. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, 
the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. And we're back. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And uh, this is my book, uh, my pick. And I'm I'm really happy with this one because I got I, I really enjoyed going through it. You know, going back and, and doing this. It makes me want to go and read the entire ten issue run, and then skip over to West Coast Avengers. I think I have a non sexual man crush on Wonder Man. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, to use a Seinfeld euphemism, there. It's uh, <laughs> I don't know any other way of saying that. I think Wonder Man is there's a. Just- uh- there's nothing wrong with it. Well, okay. What uh, which outfit of his do you like best? The safari I, I like coat. The, I like the safari coat. Yeah. You know, um, I, I I did like what he wore. What what they had him in 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 uh, Hulk when when he and Hercules and Namor and Iron Man went out to the desert to fight the Hulk and uh, Doc Samson. The they they had him in in the, the the main outfit, but he had his hair short. I hated when he did the whole mullet thing in West Coast Avengers. It looked just so ridiculous, but it is, you know, the sign of that time. It's, you know, and, and, you know, of course it's Wonder Man is being one of those guys that's like trying to be an actor. Mm -hmm. He would sit there and change his hairstyle and and, and all that as as he do different things. So I'm not surprised that he did it. I just hated it. (laughs) Now I never liked the later looks that they did of Wonder Man after he supposedly got killed and they brought him back in uh, Avengers when Kurt Busiek and George Perez were working on it, they made him this, the purple ionic sparkly thing rather than right. a, a physical being. Right. And I mean, I understand the, the evolution of it, but it kind of, you know, you, when you sit there and you're reading these characters and at least for me, and, and the beast actually used a term that, uh, in, in this, uh, issue that, applies a lot to me as far as the books, the movies and everything goes. And that uh, he called a vicarious self-actualization transferal. Mm-hmm. Basically you're sitting there and you're living, you know, you're living your life through them. Yeah. You're living vicariously and, through them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, there's always going to be that point of view character that you're going to latch onto. Peter Parker was great for all of us growing up because we were bullied. We were, you know, nerds. We were, all those things that Peter was, and yet you got to see Peter do these amazing things, and still yet he had trouble with girls, he had trouble with money, all that stuff, all the things that we struggled with when we were younger. That's funny because I don't because that's my you know that's my core superhero. Spider Man is my right. favorite, and I don't I, I don't think I have, I I connected with him on that level. To me, it's always been kind of like connecting with somebody like Cap because Peter Parker is he's a hero not because he's can do whatever a spider can he's a hero because he does what's right and he always does what's right and I think that is what tr- you we should all kind of strive towards and I think that's what that's a connection I had is that mm-hmm. you know he is always doing the the right thing he's a decent person I think that, so that's kind of what I strive to be uh, that was my connection to him instead of not the 
he was the the nerd that kind of now is coming to his own. Well, I mean, it's just he was he was the gateway. I yeah. mean, yes, there is that, and it's definitely a motivation. I I, I can't disagree with that. Definitely, you, you sit there and you go, yeah, you know, he wants to do good. Now, of course, he he learned a lesson. He got spanked really hard mm-hmm. in the way you know with, with Uncle Ben and all that, and. You know, fortunately, we d- we didn't have to live through that kind of guilt, that kind of, oh my gosh, lamentation of that. You know, of what he has to go through every day when he sits there and looks at a picture of his uncle Ben, or he looks at Aunt May. Yeah. You know, he carries that with him every day, and that's definitely the motivation for him to stay on that right road. Because whenever he strays, bad things happen. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, why did we go there? Why did we go there? I don't know. We got. A, I don't know how we got into Spider Man. Well, you know, I mean, of course, we're talking about you know the 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 um, vicarious living through the right, vicarious. Right, right. And I was I was talking about Wonder Man, but you know, just saying that I had that non sexual man crush on him, and uh, you know, part of that is he is a point of view character. He is one that you know, kind of steps into the superhero world. And he's not comfortable with being the superhero, and so it's easy for someone who's joining the books, joining books like Avengers to sit there and maybe use him as their point of view character. You can't do that with Tony Stark. You could possibly do it some with Captain America because he's always got that fish out of water sort of thing going on. But this is, of course, you know, many years in, so he doesn't have it so much as he did at the beginning or like we saw in, say, the Avengers, uh, the movie. Yeah. Okay, but let me go ahead and give us the specifics here on this issue. Uh, of course, it was Avengers number 181, volume one, published by Marvel. The cover date was March 1979. The on-sale date was December 12th, 1978. It had a cover price of 35 cents, a page count of 32, and the editor was Roger Stern, the great, great Roger Stern, a, uh, a, a talent that needs to be heralded a lot more today. Um, the, the guy deserves a lot of credit because he's written some of the best Spider-Man stories ever. And uh, if you haven't checked out his runs on both Spectacular Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man, I say run, run, run right now. And I think and his spe- your- Spectacular run is is kind of overlooked by his, overshadowed by his Amazing, but I think his Spectacular is just as strong. Well, the Spectacular had, of course, you know, not the best artists working on his stuff. I don't think it was consistent with which artists were working on there. I don't think it ever got really consistent until Sapasima came on for so long. Right. And by then Sal's, you know, style of art had two expressions, open mouth and closed mouth. I like that. I like that expression. I like, I <laughs> no, I don't, not that I like his, I like Wide his, I like his style, his, yeah, his well, style that evolved past his, because I think in his early days, he kind of looked a little bit like he, his artwork looked a little like, his brother John, but mm-hmm. they kind of uh, developed his own style. But I think that his Hulk is probably eighty percent of the world's Hulk. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, when someone sits there and thinks of the Hulk, they're usually thinking of his or, or Trimpies. Yeah, or, or Trimpies, mm-hmm. or uh, Kirby's, and Trim- then of course there's the, the McFarlane uh, Gray Hulk. Yeah. Mm. Which I don't, anyway, I, I will say I don't know if Art McFarlane's art has aged well. I was really enamored with his stuff, but I kind of look. I kind of look at it back now. I was like, I don't. I've got. A, I've got a trade paperback of that first run there, 
with McFarlane and David, and it goes up to the point where they blow up that town. Mm-hmm. And you get Rock and the Redeemer and all that stuff, the Wolverine guest appearance where they have the fight in Dallas. It mm-hmm. doesn't look like Dallas at all. <laughs> and, um, you know, the art isn't bad. I like I like the way the art worked in some places, but the whole story itself was very clunky. And I don't know if that was Peter David or if that was McFarlane's inability to, to translate, translate yeah. the subtleties of the story. And because it would sit there and just kind of jump and it make these leaps. And you're like, what happened? How did it get there to this? And how did, you know, why was the leader able to do this and that? You know, it was the leader was as as good a planner as the Joker was in the Dark Knight. And, you know, they did they gave him too much credit. In, in the in, in the book and uh, so I, I had some trouble in, in later readings when I first read it I thought it was brilliant but if you read it all in the trade um, it loses a lot yeah I think um, and you know, again you know it's part of it is a story I think um, but I mean I love Peter David's writing and I consider him a friend so you know that's that's one of those things uh, <laughs> uh, but you know I, I may go back and read it again because my son's been looking at those going those look really really cool so We'll see. Yeah, it's. I think McFarland's art is is not bad. You know, people say it doesn't age well, and that's because his model is his model, and it's different from everybody else's model. His Mary Jane doesn't look like anybody else's Mary Jane. His Peter doesn't look like anybody else's Peter. And I think that's that's it. But that when he came on the scene, he he didn't draw like anybody else. So suddenly he's like, wow, what is this? And I think going back and looking at, it, I think it looks a little stiff. It does. But the thing is. His Spider-Man, his Spider-Man poses, his Spider-Man webbing is still what everybody strives towards. Well, yeah, his, I, I'll, I'll give him credit for he's the first one to create that spinnery type webbing. Nobody else was drawing that, and he kind of created right. that. Not everybody, that's that's the model. So, yeah, he yeah. gets credit for that. Yeah. You know, pretty soon we're going to have to cover a burned Spider-Man. Well, we have. And, well, uh, we did Marvel. We did. We did uh, Marvel – no, I, I mean the later, the later stuff. Oh, well, the, right, the, the, right, right. Howard, Howard Mackey or the um, the chapter one uh, stuff. You know, I mean, both those deserve some coverage, and both those are going to have some very different reactions than any of the early stuff he did in Marvel Team Up. Yeah, yeah, we could cover some chapter one stuff. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, the book itself is titled titled on the matter of heroes, and it's got uh, seventeen pages in the story. Though there was a 32-page count in the book, so that's a lot of advertisements, mm-hmm. including probably one of the more well-known Twinkies ads with the Hulk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the story was written by David Michelinie, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Gene Day. Uh, the letters were done by Elaine Heint. I think that – is that Heint or Elaine H? Is uh, they have her in a book, but uh, it's Heint or Heinel. And then the colors were by Francois Moulet. <laughs> I think that's how it's pronounced. But uh, yeah. the book's been reprinted many, many times. Avengers Yesterday Quest, uh, Backpack Marvels, Avengers Trade Paperback, Avengers Knights of Wondagore, Wonder- uh, all of which, of course, are part of the stories that, that uh, lead further on into this and actually started all the way back in Avengers 164. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, that being said, let's see what else was coming out the March with the March 1979 cover date. Doomsday Plus One, number 11. Now, that should have been a reprint, reprint. Of, of issue five. So nothing new there. And all they did on the cover 
was reprinted one of the pages on the inside and and blew it up, if I remember. Interesting. Uh, next was Marvel Team Up number 79, Sword of the She-Devil. And this was um, John Byrne and Terry Austin uh, doing a Marvel Team Up uh, issue with Chris Claremont. But I think this was a... Um, with, this is one that they held in the drawer for a while, because if you remember, Burns' run on Team Up was very sporadic, mm-hmm. and you know, aside from this, this month he also did Amazing Spider-Man 190 in Search of the Man Wolf. That's and a, then of course that's an issue X, I'd like to cover. Yeah, X-Men 119 was the night before Christmas, and then on the matter of heroes. Now, was the night before Christmas. That was uh, Moses Magnum one, right in Japan. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Yeah, and so there's three issues here where Byrne has done uh, artwork chores, and then of course X Men he does the plotting chores and artwork, and then of course there's the Marvel team up. I think the Marvel team up was uh, a you know a story that was held in a drawer for a while. It could have been, and they decided to put it out then because the the issues before and after it were other artists. Though Chris Claremont wrote a lot a around team, that time. He wrote a lot of the team ups. Period. I think didn't he? Yeah. And, but they always had a lot of different artists on there, and it wasn't always that great. Of course, you got Burn on there, and it's beautiful. So that being said, uh, that that was definitely a very busy month for Burn. Uh, definitely three books that he did the artwork chores on. But, of course, it was all pencils. The inking, of course, was done by other ones, other people. Uh, In Search of the Man Wolf, I'm trying to remember. I think that was um, – That's John Jameson. Yeah, I know, but I'm trying to remember who did the inks on that. If that was like, uh, I think it was like Mike Esposito. It was it was someone that kept the the book on model as a Spider-Man book. So the could the have been it part, could have been Esposito. Yeah, um, but and, and then of course here we got Gene Day doing the the inks on it, um, and then towards the night before Christmas is Terry Austin and on the uh, sort of the She Devil with Red Sonia. That was Terry Austin. And of course, that was one of the Cool and Ganth stories. Hmm. Which, th- uh, that's always been a very awesome looking villain. <laughs> I think this is the first and maybe only time that Gene Day has inked Burn. I tried to to find out uh, any more connections, and I couldn't. I know he he uh, he did a lot on Ma- Master Kung Fu with Mike Zek. So that's a kind of tie into you know we met Zach recently at a con here in Dallas. Yeah, and he did yeah. a lot, he did a lot of the work on that with Zach, and he did a lot of uh, inked over uh, Infantino and Star Wars. But I think this is his only time to ink over Burn. Yeah. Okay. Well. And, cool. he, and he died apparently. At, uh, he said he had a uh, coronary at the age of like 33 crossing the street in Canada. Oh my gosh! So yeah, I did. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, he didn't. He wouldn't run very long. It was oh, a shame. Man, that's- that's sad. Well, let me go ahead and get through the uh, synopsis here. I pulled okay. this one from the Marvel Wiki because um, it, it did give the story well enough, and then you know we can go through it and uh, talk the finer points. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Wonder Man and Beast catch a movie, and I'll say that right now. That is the uh, Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Uh, and after, discuss the need and psychological role that heroes play. They return to Avengers Mansion only to have inserting Wonder Man's key provoke a security response, looking very much like Doc Ock's arms. <laughs> very much. They, man- they manage to unentangle themselves, and thinking something is wrong, they burst through the door to find a technician, Scott Lang, and his first appearance, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Wonder Man is in the middle of shaking him down when Gyrich and Tony Stark come up and stop him. Uh, Henry Peter Gyrich, of course. Gyrich tells him that uh, to head to the conference room where he'll make known the rest of his demands for the Avengers' priority status to be returned to them. A taxi cab drops a mysterious white-bearded person off in front of the Avengers' mansion. Inside, Gyrich addresses all Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy and the kitchen sink and 28 <laughs> other people that we didn't know about. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> he tells them that they have to pare down to seven members and then proceeds to tell them those members will be. His list include Iron Man, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Beast, Captain America, Wasp, and the Falcon. Now, uh, well, we'll go into that later. <laughs> Iron Man objects, but Gyrich tells them equal opportunity for minorities is a federal requirement. Quicksilver also objects and almost makes a complete racist out of himself <laughs> and uh, then suddenly falls over. Thor rushes to, quote, get a doctor, unquote, and outside the mysterious white-bearded man smiles. Dr. Blake is waiting for test results. The Guardians of the Galaxy are leaving to return to their time, and Wonder Man packs his bags. Jan and Henry flirt. Various other now former members leave to, with much sadness, with a few remaining to be gone in 24 hours. And then Wanda's also, Wanda also mysteriously collapses. Dr. Blake reveals that Quicksilver's test results just came in. His heart no longer beats, but the body doesn't decay. I'm sorry, how did he not know that before? <laughs> how did he not? You know, his heart's not beating, but I'm not going to say anything right now. I'm just going to wait till the test results come back. Yep, not beating. Uh, he, the tests show he's only mostly dead. Only mostly dead. Yeah, he's neither dead nor truly alive. The mysterious white-bearded figure checks into a hotel, and I must say it's a crappy hotel, and opens his bag to reveal two little wooden figures carved to look like Wanda and Pietro Pinocchios in cages and are moving. Not only that, but the man refers to them as his children to be continued. So what'd you think of this one? Uh, first, this is my first time to read this. Oh, really? Read, yeah, I had not read it. I, there, there are huge gaps in my... Uh... I've got this issue, but I've never read it. Uh, there are huge gaps in my Avengers stuff and a lot of my Burn stuff too. I thought I thought the artwork looked great. Uh, yes. It was not quite. I don't know what Dave was inking over. It was not quite Burn. They're just uh, subtle differences that make it look. You can tell that somebody who doesn't normally ink him ink him. So it looks just a little little off. Uh, but other than that, it, it's 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 some great Burn art. The story I thought was was okay. It, it, it's kind of a, a setup story. It's like we're putting mm -hmm. stuff in place for this next story that's coming down the pike. Uh, and I know this is coming off of the Korvac saga, saga yes. which was like three issues past. Four, four, actually, four issues four past. Issues and the, the, the issues that, that filled in in between, I'm sorry, were almost unreadable. I read the, the, the monolith one, or the island one, with mm -hmm. uh, Bloodhawk, or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, that one. I didn't read the Beast one, but I read the the two leading up to this one, and yeah, the artwork was serviceable. The story was serviceable, uh, and I haven't read the one past this one. I know Burn doesn't do the next issue. Uh, it was it was okay. I wouldn't necessarily run to reread this, because mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just it's just place setting. It's putting a lot of stuff. It's kind of cleaning up stuff. It's putting. It's a day in the life. Uh, yeah, exactly. It is not I love a lot that of stuff, action. Though. 
But I, I love that kind of stuff in these books. I like. I loved it when they did it in the X Men. I love it when they did well, it in the X Men. I think Claremont does it so much better in the X Men when it's just kind of peeking in on, like you said, a day in life. This is what these people are doing. Uh, this is because it's setting up the the Wanda and Pietro thing with um, his name's not revealed in here, is it? It's Django, but Django. yeah, Django Maximoff. Django Maximoff. Him, uh, and then that carries over to about the next five or six issues, I think. Uh, and then it also is cleaning up and, inter- you know, is this the first time we've seen Guy Rich back since he showed up in Avengers 60, 165? You know, I don't I don't recall because, I mean, it, it, again, I, I had a hard time getting through yeah. the, the issues leading up to this. Um, but, you know, it's, and that's the thing is that it, it seemed to me from my initial read, when I did my first read, full read through of the Avengers, that Jirat showed up in that 164 through 166 that we covered way back in episode one. Mm-hmm. And that that and this storyline only had few little snippets throughout. But, you know, there was a, but when there was the time when Jirat did come in and uh, take away the Avengers priority. Uh, Avengers, yeah, Avengers priority. Uh, what do you what do you call it? Uh, that, what they're trying to get here, right? Yeah, they're 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 like their secret, not secret access, yeah. but their privileges, kind of. Yes, that's right, that's right. And and so that happened in there, but there was just very small snippets of it through there. But he had been a part of the the theme in there, I think, all the way you know through the Corvax saga, but not very much. Right. I, again, I'd have to go back and, and relook at that, but you know his involvement there was. It seems like it started off in that that three issue, and then boom picks up heavily here mm-hmm. yeah he kind of really definitely inserts himself here did you know and this i read this that uh peter david has said that either he said or he he's heard or he said that shooter based uh guy rich on himself <laughs> I, I i am not surprised i, I you know it's like I've, I've always wondered you know where guy rich came from and if, if that's the case, you know, again, you know, Jim Shooter, and we saw this when we when we saw him here just a couple couple months ago, yeah. is that he doesn't pull any punches on himself. No, he, no. He, he knows, you know, he he knows that he made a lot of people very unhappy with him, but at the same time, he got the trains running on time, mm-hmm. and so he's going to take credit for the things he did right, and if he pissed someone off along the way, he's you know he went okay. too concerned about it, yeah. But, you know, there is an example of that in this particular issue, because if you look at page seven and you look at the front cover, what the heck is going on there? Which came first, the chicken or the egg here? You know what I'm talking about? I'm looking at page seven right now. Tell me Wonder Man's busting through the door. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I guess I got the, the, the page number wrong. Is that... Oh, uh, if you're looking, you're okay. If you go actually by the art, page eleven, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm see. I'm looking. I, I'm actually reading from my, uh, uh, you know, John Byrne Marvel. That's got oh, okay. all of these in there, and it's the seventh page in. But I, I guess it'd be page eleven. Okay, where you see Gyrich standing in front, and it's basically just like the front cover, mm-hmm. but it's John Byrne's version of it. Yeah. And then, of course, the front cover is George Perez's version of it. And we haven't even talked about the – well, we haven't talked about anything in here though. But uh, the, the thing is, is that someone asked Byrne on, the, on the Byrne Robotics about that. And they said, which was first? You know, did you give instructions to George or McElhaney or you know, Perez himself or what? 
And, you know, who was the owner of that page then? And what Vern says is that his page came first. It took him more than two hours to draw that page, even though it was just breakdowns. And that says something about the art there in Gene Day's inks is that Byrne just did the breakdowns on everything here. Gene Day came in and finished everything else out. I wonder if that's why it looks just a little bit off. Uh, yeah. Because Byrne just did breakdowns. But but just doing that, breakdowns, is that's a, that's a lo- he's a lot of characters. That's full. Right. And so Shooter goes and orders George Perez to copy it for the cover. So, and, and in Byrne's words, most of the planet assumed George version came first. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I don't know if uh, – well, at that day, I don't – at that time, I don't know if covers would – if co- covers would come last because they would – I think they would because in those days, the cover usually reflected the story. So the right. story would have to be drawn and then it would pick out some part and go, okay, that's going to be our cover, this part. Yeah. And Perez has definitely amped up the the antagonism. You know, uh, Cap is holding back Iron Man – a guy which is much more animated. He's kind of like he's threatening him. Uh, the rest of them look kind of shocked. And then the well, burn one, they look know, kind of bored. <laughs> well, the thing is, 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 on the burn one, if you look at Gyrich, he's basically got his hands in his pockets and he has thrust his waist forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in the other one, he's holding the folder at his side and he's basically yeah. pointing the finger at him. The way he's doing it in, in, in Burns is basically more like, you know, I've got the nuts here. Yeah. I make the rules. <laughs> well, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, this is how, he's not threatening him. He's just kind of telling him how it is, you know. Yeah, but I mean, he he's basically swinging something really big in front of him and saying, <laughs> saying look how big this is. Well, also. I'm sorry, if, I know that's kind of rude, but that's. <laughs> if you look at the, uh, at Perez's cover, the Guardians are very secondary they're yes. kind of pushed off to the side. You really can't see them, and they're more uh, in the uh, you know in the main group in Burns. Yeah, you get to see and more. And then, of them. course, uh, as I stated on on the the Facebook image that you put out of this page, uh, it really looks like Hercules is doing something really wrong to the wasp. <laughs> and she's got her hand up there, and she's she's grabbing Hank's hand like, oh my god, <laughs> let it end. <laughs> she's been goosed. Yes. <laughs> what? Oh my gosh! Anyway, uh, shall we get into it? Yeah. Well, you didn't. What did you think? You didn't tell me your. What are your thoughts on this story? Well, again, you know, I, I really love this. It's it's, it's sad though uh, for me because my, this was not my first burn uh, burn Avengers, nor was one sixty four through one sixty six. Uh, my first one was actually the one where Pietro and Wanda actually go to Wondagore Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was the that was the uh, it, back in. Uh, I want to say it was the summer of 86 when I really, really started picking up comic book burn books. I was searching them out. I, someone, uh, I got met one when we did a road, when my family did a road trip and it was part of a three pack and I'd already, uh, I'd already been reading burns X-Men and I came across that one and I'm like, Oh, burns doing Avengers too. And I go, I need to find these. And so when I got into the comic book shops, I went and picked up all these other ones. And, um, you know, of course, I, I loved every every one of them, though I found different things about each one that either was really, really cool or kind of annoyed me. What The, the thing that annoyed me was the very first page on, on this one with the, the, the picture of the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. You don't like the use of the actual photograph? It, it was jarring, you know. Um, I mean, of course, you know, in, in – later issues when he was doing his own inks and everything 
and uh, like Fantastic Four and Alpha Flight, you know, he would sit there and do this, do certain things with pictures that he would bring in. Like when he did cityscapes, mm-hmm. he would have a picture of a cityscape, but he would do uh, either a zipatone or, or or whatever um, facade over it. You, you know, you so it, yeah, it, you see that a lot in his his FF run. I think it's when they come back from the negative zone. Yeah. With the black outfit, you can see that he his backgrounds are instead of drawn buildings, as you say, they look almost like they've been photoshopped or he's done something with for, yeah, for a real photo. He's taken a picture and he's done he's done something something to it. This here, because of the coloring, you know, the whole thing of the theater all in blues, but you know, basically trying to give us the idea that it's dark in mm-hmm. there and the black and white picture the way it is, the beast and wonder man up front again, they're in a monochrome kind of blue. It it just looked. It didn't look right to me. Uh, I mean, that being said, you know the the background characters, you know him, the Beast and and Wonder Man, and then the people in the theater, they look fine. They're well drawn mm-hmm. and everything. But it just the the way they did this page just kind of didn't sit right with me. Oh. Well, there are a lot of, uh, and we'll get to them as we go through. But there are a lot of uh, solid color fields in here. That yeah, that that's just a style of, of uh, comic books back then. You don't see that at all now. Right, right. And uh, the, the other funny thing, actually, if you go back to the front cover, and it's something I pointed out before, uh, especially with, you know in the Avengers books, but uh, Vision's cloak is the same color as Yellow Jacket's costume, mm-hmm. which is the same color as Iron Man's yellow on his arm. Because that's the, same that's the yellow they were using. <laughs> color as Miss Marvel's hair, which is also the same color as Thor's hair. And, you know, every bit of yellow is exactly the same color yellow. Every bit of red, uh, except for the more pinkish parts of Scarlet Witch's outfit and her hair. See, you you get different variations on red there. But Cap's red and Iron Man's red are the same. And, you know, but that's, yeah, like you say, it's limitations of the color. It's a four-color book. You can only do so many combinations and such. And it probably, like, I guess Scarlet Witch is pink. Is probably just a, a a tint of the red, so that's not considered two different colors. Still considered one color, so right. That's our way of uh, kind of getting around that. But there does seem to be a differentiation between her hair and Black Widow's. That is Black Widow, isn't it? Yeah, with her arms crossed. Yeah, what yeah. is she doing there? Yeah, I don't know. What well, she, is she even in, in there in the rest of it? Oh. <laughs> I mean, again, it's cram-packed with a lot of people, and a lot of people that do not. You know, Infinity War gave everybody lines. This didn't <laughs> get everybody lines, that's for sure. I mean, at least Starhawk didn't speak because, you know, he'd be talking like this, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Captain America, for giving us a place. I'm glad you're not greedy and lazy. <laughs> All right, anyway. <laughs> nice to loan. Yeah, thank you. I <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, of course, next we see Beast and Wonder Man walking about the city as they're having a little discussion about uh, the little people and how they love to see how heroes live their lives. And um, Beast does a uh, Spider-Man-like mm-hmm. move around that, that reminded me all the way back to Ditko's Spider-Man and even um, some of uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil. Yeah. The way that you know, do that telegraphing of move there. Byrne didn't like to do these things. If I remember, um, he did, he did some in, in iron fist and he did it here, but he didn't necessarily like to do those kind of progressions. Uh, He'd mentioned on his website. It's the only reason why I bring it up. Hmm. Um, and so in later books, when he was writing, you didn't see him do it like that very often. He liked to show the actual motion and motion lines, but not the, 
you know, the, the, the half colored or silhouetted versions of the characters in right. all different motions. It's almost like that, a, like a, like a time lapse or like a freeze frame kind of effect. Yeah. Now, did you catch a little Easter egg on this page? No, no. In the top left panel, as Wonder Man and, and Beast are coming out of the theater, the movie poster says Robin Hood with Errol Flynn and Kurt Wagner. And no, there is no Kurt oh, Wagner. Kurt Wagner. In, 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 uh, there is no Kurt Wagner in Robin Hood. That's a, That's a, a Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. I didn't yeah. catch that at all. But I'm looking at. I should have. I've got the same book you've got. I should have pulled it out. I'm looking at the the scans from the actual book on my uh, Avengers disc. So. Okay. And I've got that too. Uh, no, mine isn't scans from a disc. Mine is another scan, but um, but yours is probably recolored, isn't it? The book, of course, is recolored. Yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, because the 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 scans from the issue, the 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 buildings look different. The the signs are brighter, but the bricks are lighter. Um, yeah, the coloring is much better in the rep- in the in the the book that we've got here. Um, I. Uh, but you know, still, of course, it's got whatever. It, I I don't know if they if they recolored it or if it just the it's the same kind of um, if it's the same print just on better paper, and so therefore yeah. it looks a lot better. Maybe. It didn't bleed so much over the years before it got scanned. My, the most annoying thing in mine is I've got that marble watermark on it. Hmm. No, my mine doesn't have that. Yeah. But see, like like on on my scan of it. Uh, like when you see the beast doing his leap around, you know that part of the alley where it's just supposed to be black. Mm-hmm. The scan of it has it is this, it's a, a faded scan, so you can see uh, light down in there, like it's got dust or something on the scan itself. Oh, that's not cool. Yeah, it's it's not not very good in that way. So I'm definitely glad to be looking at the book itself uh, here there. Um, so we see the beast land down, and and Wonder Man picks up his hat for him. And as they get up to the Avengers Mansion, and he's got the nice A-shaped key. I want one of those. And then Doc, Doc Ock's arms come out and attack them. Exactly. They look exactly like that. That uh, um, Even the, the pincers on the end look like Doc Ock's stuff. Yes. It, it do, depending on which artist that you had do Doc Ock's arms. But if Byrne had done them, I'm pretty sure that's how he would have done them. Um, and of course, the next couple pages they give you some good shots of Wonder Man, you know, taking care of business. That's a good top panel on page six, where they're kind of ripping them apart. is a It's a great. Uh, I love the way Burn has kind of segmented the the coils as they're coming apart. Yeah. Well, what I, what I like though, uh, and this is from the writer standpoint, the page before, you know, Wonder Man says these look like these coils look like tempered steel. And not many people know that that Simon Williams, before he became Wonder Man, was actually an industrialist like Tony Stark. He just wasn't as talented as Tony. So, you know, he does have some knowledge in that realm. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah. So they, they, they did cover that there, at least. And so I like that. And then, um, of course, you know, they sit there and they make short work of the arms. But is there snow in the yard or is that just... I think I it's, that. I don't know, it looks like it's either cobblestones or it's snow, because well, obviously it's snowing in the other pages, you can see there's snow in the cars. Okay, so yeah, there, there's snow and there's snow in the windowsill too. Yeah. But, so because there's, there is cobblestone there, but there's snow off to the side and it's kind of built up into drifts. So that's, yeah, that's true. And yeah, this page here, the the top part where, where they're tearing apart the, the coils is cool. 
but down at the bottom, you can definitely see that um, that was definitely a loose breakdown, and that Gene Day had to do a lot of work on, yeah. on Wonder Man there. Yeah, his face is a little off. Yeah. And then, of course, but when he comes through the door there and it sh shatters the door, that's a great shot there. I've seen that shot reproduced a number of times on a number of web pages. And here is Paul Rudd <laughs> with a red hair wig, I guess. Uh, the Paul Rudd <laughs> in a nice pair of bell bottoms. And uh, I forgot this was his first appearance. Yeah, this this is the first appearance of Scott Lang because David Michelinie is the writer of this. And this came out like a month or two months before the Marvel premiere issues that had Ant-Man that we that we covered with uh, Paul and uh, – Back to the Benz. Doc, yeah, Scott and Dr. Bill. Uh, way back in our what was it was that our second and second and a half episode? Uh, I don't know. It was it was back there. I mean, it, it's very early, yeah. very early. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but David Michelinie, I think, was also writing that story as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did. So, and of course, you know, he writes Iron Man, and um, at at this time, and Scott Lang also became a part of that whole storyline there. Um, he of course also shows up in. Um, Marvel team-ups with Spider-Man and David McElhinney was writing there as well. That's where they introduced the Taskmaster. And, uh, of course, the Taskmaster, uh, created by George Perez and um, David McElhinney, is kind of a, a little knock against uh, Slade Wilson, the Terminator, Deathstroke, mm -hmm. from uh, DC Comics. You know, they fights the Teen Titans. And is it, Boy, Wade, and is it Wade Wilson's name based on Slade Wilson? Yes, that's exactly where that part of Deadpool comes from. Yep. He's, he's a little bit of a ripoff of that. He's kind of a cross between Deathstroke and Ambush Bug. And if you don't know who Ambush Bug is, you need to go out and find every appearance of him in the 80s. I don't think I've ever read. I know who he is. And I know he's a DC character. I don't think I've ever read anything. Uh, he started off in DC Comics Presents as a, uh, a nutso job foil for Superman. Um, Keith Giffen, I think, is the is the creator, and he turned him. I mean, the thing was, the first issue, he was actually a murderer and a killer, but he had a suit that allowed him to teleport anywhere. These little bugs that fly around, and wherever the bugs go, he can teleport to. And the second time he brought him around was in another issue of DC Comics Presents, and Superman accidentally takes him to the future, to the 30th century, where the Legion of Superheroes are. But the Legion is off planet on a mission, so Superman has to leave Ambush Bug with the Legion of Substitute Heroes. And that's where the Legion of Substitute Heroes became a joke, a big joke. Mm. And uh, that it was hilarious. And so uh, there was a, so much um, clamor for more Ambush Bug, they did a four-issue limited series. And Ambush Bug broke the fourth wall. He talked to the audience all the time. And he made so much fun of all the comic book tropes. He could tell. He, he just took one look at Clark Kent and knew it was Superman, you know. <laughs> he walks up to him and spit curls the hair, takes off the glasses. Yeah, Superman, look! You know, uh, Ambush Bug's hilarious. And, uh, you know, definitely the, the first uh, four-issue miniseries is worth a read, as well as the uh, the appearances in DC Comics Presents. Yeah, uh, apparently, and there, like I said, he, he always struck me as... A character that would should belong in the, all the independent books that were around in the 80s, like uh, Ninja Turtles or The Flaming Carrot or Cerberus, or that's not really kind of funny stuff, but those kind of independent books. Right. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Madman? Is that. Um, 
Madman, my call, my call, red. Yeah, Madman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or kind of like Madcap in Marvel is. Yeah, probably. A, I always thought that Madcap was kind of like the, the first rip off of Ambush Bug. He probably is. And then you know, just Deadpool was just a complete rip off of that. But Deadpool took off because Deadpool was badass. You yeah, know, who would, who would have thought that you could have made a uh, made a uh, uh, a character? And that uh, that all has to go. Well, well, I give that most of that credit to uh, to Ryan Reynolds, but. Uh, I've only read a handful of Daredevil books, and I thought it was kind of cute the way he would break the break the fourth wall. I thought it was interesting, but then I, I quickly kind of fell out. So um, yeah, it, yeah, it only goes so far. That's why Ambush Bug only was like a four issue miniseries, yeah. and then they did like a Christmas special, and then a Son of Ambush Bug a couple years later. Yeah, it's, and, it's kind of character that works best if he shows up in somebody else's book and gets right, small s- small doses. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so going back to our, our, our book, and it was Scott Lang that took us on this little um, – and, uh, of course, uh, Guy Rich is sitting there going, well, you guys uh, really you know, uh, tore up everything, and Stark says it's all expensive, and Guy Rich goes, yeah, but that's okay. They'll stand up against normal intruders. It's your money anyway, right? <laughs> and, well, what kind uh, of they, normal intruders is he thinking are going to attack the Avengers? I mean, Joe Schmo is not going to go up to – and try to break what break into the Avengers Mansion. It's gotta be super powered guys. So I know, but how often do Dingleberries try to break into the White House? Well, that's that's true. That's true. There's, so, some, so. there's some stun rays. I mean, don't don't waste the arms on them. I mean, what are these arms gonna do? Is go up the coil, keep them coiled up. The alarm's gonna go off. What if nobody's home? These guys are gonna stay coiled up outside until somebody comes home and releases them. No, Jar- Jarvis will come out with the broom and he'll take care of that's business. True. I, forgot, I, forgot, Jarvis. I forgot Jarvis being there. We've got a real Jarvis, a human Jarvis. It's not just a voice. Um, of course, uh, Jairus tells Tony that his bodyguard needs to go and meet up in the other room with the rest of the Avengers to get the Avengers priority. And then we go to the next page where we see that flooring that we see in a lot of burned books. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's some kind of zipatone or or what, but I know he likes to use it. Bob Layton likes to use it. Terry Austin likes to use it. <laughs> yeah, it so might, I don't know if that was Byrne or Gene Day that, that, that did that. It's probably a zipatone. I know there's also one that – sometimes you see people with uh, – it looks like it's just all squiggly, but it looks yeah. like they use it sometimes for sweaters and stuff. Let me ask you. Did you ever have trouble with the whole Tony Stark armor in the suitcase like this? No. I mean I I get you – know, I can believe a guy can be bit by a radioactive spider and climb the wall, so – I mean, it never. I had more trouble with when he used to wear the chest piece under his uh, shirt all the time, like Captain America wearing the shield on his back, right? And right, not yeah. sticking out, <laughs> yeah. Or or the angel tucking his wings, yes, behind him and into his pants. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's not gonna work either. But yeah. I, you know, the thing is, I liked how they represented the Iron Man armor in Iron Man Two with the suitcase, mm-hmm. and of course, that was like a backup suit. But still, I like the way that they did that. That was really cool. Well, what do you feel? This is another tangent, but what do you feel about the way they they portrayed? Uh, this is kind of spoilers for Infinity War. We've we've covered it, but we're doing it again. The way they have his armor in, in the new film. Well, that was the whole extremist thing, wasn't it? It's, I mean, that was originally what extremist really was mm-hmm. was a nanites right. in the blood system <clears throat> that could bring the armor out and everything. And, uh, you know, it worked really well, and they were able to make the, the, the headpiece go away an awful lot so you could see the star's face. So, you know, it worked out for what they wanted. And it probably was easier to, to, to animate. There's not a physical suit he has to wear. It's all – he's just in a mocap yeah. suit the whole time. 
Yeah, no, I, I think Byrne missed a, an opportunity on this page here. And that, um, of course, we have the scene here where Django's being dropped off by the taxi driver, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he should have made the, the, the taxi driver like Judd Hirsch or uh, Christopher Lloyd <laughs> or, or Danny DeVito from the old Taxi TV series, which was out at this particular point in uh, time. It wouldn't have been DeVito because DeVito was, was in charge. It could have been it could have been Hirsch or... Uh... Andy Kaufman. Well, Kaufman was a mechanic. He never drove the taxis. Oh, that, that's right. That's right. Uh, uh, you know, been... I, I've got I to check and make sure that I've got my timing right there because I'm like, is that really when the series was out? Did it start in the 70s or was it 80s only? I don't know when it uh... – 78. started in 78. So, yeah. So, yeah, could it been... would have been right right around the same time. So, again, a missed opportunity. Um, and, of course, we see Django there. Um, Unchained. The, the hat and the coat that doesn't match. <laughs> well, they're both green. At least in my book, they're both green. Yeah, yeah, they're they're both green, green in mine. I'm gonna and now I'm gonna go back and take a look at the scan just to see see how it showed up there. Um, well, in in the 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 scan, they actually seem to match better, a little better. They may have color. I mean, they wouldn't necessarily yeah. be the same color because they're they're different, but yeah. Okay, so next page is of course the big two hour to draw page. Where you've got every Avenger here. I mean, again, we've got so many that we didn't hear from. Marvel is back there, and I think this is the only time in the whole book that I actually remember him being on a page. Well, you see him flying off later, but that's it. That's right. And of course, there's Moon Dragon, there's Starhawk, there's Nikki, which I've never read anything that Nikki's been in to know what she can or can't do. She's got that Firestorm hair, though. But I think that's just a style. That's just not actually fire, is it? I, I think it is actually fire. fire. Yeah. Uh, of Charlie course, you know, 27, Black, Martin yeah. X, and Black Widow, Yellow Jacket, Wasp, Green, you know, Vision. Jocasta's way at the bottom. Yeah, that Jocasta, of course, Black Panther, Cap, Iron Man, Wanda, Vision, Scarlet Witch. But, and then, of course, the Beast and Thor. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Red. Now, the, the funny thing is that Hawkeye and Charlie 27 apparently have the exact same expression. That's <laughs> eh, kind of a grimace. Grimace? What was Grimace? McDonald's Grimace? Yeah, what was he? It was like a gumdrop, right? <laughs> he was a... It was a thing. I don't know what he was. They, they were talking about that in Deadpool, weren't they? Somebody called him Grim. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, somebody was called somebody Grimace. <laughs> yeah, the, the. Yeah. Oh, that's a big spoiler. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> what was. Now, do you know, what do you was... know who voiced. No, I didn't. It was Ryan Reynolds. Interesting. Well, he does, yeah. he does do voices. Have you ever seen the movie called Voices or The Voices? Where he, he does the voices of his dog and cat. No, I, 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 Watch I haven't it. seen it. Watch it. That's pretty good. Hmm. Okay, cool. All right, so. So, Jairich drops the news that uh, you guys are going to have to pare down. You have too many people. And we got whole pages of Avengers just talking. Lots of talking heads. And it's gorgeous. It and, is, yeah. It's. Uh, but, but, I mean, can you take someone that dresses like Jairich serious? Well, he's got some some wicked plaid pants. He's got that that uh, sweater vest. 
A very Chandler Bing sweater vest, yeah. And he's got, and he's always drawn with these. These are either prescription. I would assume he needs glasses, but they're drawn like they are sunglasses. Yeah, green, green, green sunglasses. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. Did you ever look Jarish's story up? His backstory. I read, yeah, because I know him mostly from this, but I read kind of read hit how he he further becomes kind of unhinged and he's part of Sword and. Uh, kind of wants all superheroes off the planet, doesn't he? Well, I, again, you know, he if um, you, if you remember in Days of Future Past, he was one of the people that was actually going to help bring Sentinels back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in all that. But, you know, what was his beef? Why, why did he have such a beef? Or was it just, you know, he loved the holding the power over others? It could have been that. I mean, he... Uh, on page fourteen, you know when they're when Iron Man is basically trying to tell him you can't dictate who our membership is, and he basically says, "Hey, I'm the government, you know. Uh, yep, <laughs> move on, you know. I, I'm going to tell you how it is." Oh yeah, and then of course he does tell them how it is, and telling them who is going to be their members. And I love the the facial panels as you know as they sit there and show them. You know, there's there's really no no surprises until you get to the end. Was the wasp surprised that they called on her? I don't know. She, she did. She's got a very shocked look on her face. Well, the only one that's 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 uh, that's even happy is the beast. He's like, "All right, I'm, I got picked for the team." Yep. Uh, and then, of course, Hawkeye is just outraged because you know, which is funny that that they don't seem to know anything about the Falcon. It's like you know, he's not even an Avenger. Why are you going to kind of force him to be? To be on the uh, to be on the team. Of course, this is just after the period where Captain America's book was Captain America and the Falcon. Falcon. Yeah, so it's a fa- yeah. the Cap says I can vouch for him, but I kind of assume they knew kind of um, a little bit about him. Yeah, true, true. Now, if you look at the bottom of the page in the bottom right panel, this is where Jarich is telling you it's like you know you, you're going to have to take. Falcon, Iron Man, uh, since the Black Panther isn't available. And just look at how the Black Panther's sitting there. <laughs> holding. It's like he's just trying to hold his mouth and not say anything. <laughs> or is he is he holding others in judgment here? Uh, maybe he's like, hmm, interesting, you know, that uh, he's going off. I guess at this point, the child is going back to Wakanda right. to rule. Uh, but, and it, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, no, but... but uh, I was going to start talking about the next next page. Was there anything else you wanted to say on this one? Here? No, no, that's what I was going to say. How uh... I got to tell you, the next page, the top panel, I could have sworn Joe Rubenstein inked it. Yeah, at least at least uh, Quicksilver, but no, a lot of that page looks like Joe Rubenstein had inked it. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that bottom panel with well, I love that expression on Quicksilver's face. Yeah, when he's kind of like whoop. Yeah, well, he was getting ready to say something that is either very elitist or very racist. And considering he's a mutant, you figured he'd be beyond such things. <laughs> well, that was Iron Man's point that he said uh, minorities is what he call androids, what he call mutants, you know, and for that matter, right. superheroes. Um, something I did want to – was it uh... – Yeah, but yeah, Quicksilver's like, Iron Man is right. The entire situation is absurd. The Avengers <laughs> is an elite group. Now, whatever he's going to say after that <laughs> – well, even to consider, whoop. yeah, Cap stopped it, and then yeah, he's like, yeah, why do you even consider? What is he saying there? Even consider what the Falcon? I don't know. Which I think it's funny that the Hawkeye has a problem with the Falcon because he says his only powers are flying and rapping with birds. 
uh, Hawkeye, you don't have any powers at all. I mean, you're good with a bow, but that's about it. Well, Hawkeye was also Goliath for a period. Yeah, but he's but I mean, he I would put him on the same level with with uh, with the Falcon. I mean, yeah, I think Hawkeye, Hawkeye's always held a chip on his shoulder. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you he's, know, he's, the he's got he well, he's got an inferiority complex. He's always measuring himself to everybody else, yeah. and he's always coming up short. Uh, he's still trying to overcome that, uh, you know, because he was a he was a, a uh, not a villain, but he was a a crook, you know, to begin with. Yeah, to begin with, yeah. yeah. He he and the Black Widow. Yeah, both of them. Yep. Anyway, so uh, moving on. Of course, Pietro does fall to the floor, and uh, Thor knows a doctor that can come right away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he makes house calls. But you know he's not breathing, but nobody's really concerned. I mean, the rest of the Avengers pretty much, you know, just well, let's take the day. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll wait, to find out. It, it's so odd to read this because I'm so used to everybody knowing everybody else's identity, and obviously right. Thor doesn't want them to know that he's Donald Blake. Iron Man still has his identity. Uh, I don't know if Cap is out as Steve Rogers at this point. Is he, or has he always been known as Steve Rogers? I, th- I, th- I thought he'd always been no. known, but then again, you know, in his own book, you know, he had the secret identity. He yeah. had the whole thing with Bernie Rosenthal and, you know, all that. But then again, we see Dr. Donald Blake, and I- I'm sorry, I thought that was Steve Rogers. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Uh, <laughs> A scrawny Steve Rogers. Yeah, uh, the-, the scrawny Steve Rogers or Hank Pym with his hair chrome that way. Um but then we get to see the, that that ship that apparently the Guardians fly in. So that's not the Milano. No. And Yondu seems to be very, very quiet. I didn't hear a single, <laughs> hey, y'all, I'm Mary Poppins. <laughs> or is that I'm Mary Poppins, y'all? I'm, I'm Mary, I think he says I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. And I wish Jarvis would fix me up a little ditty bag for my journeys. I'm sure that that, that uh, probably had some really nice uh, – Nice goodies in there. Well, they're just go, they're going through time, so I don't think they're going on a long journey. It's not like they're yeah. going. And of course, now I want to sit there and go, "Thank you, Jarvis. We're much we're very grateful." <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, yo, Cap, we're taking off. <laughs> Catch you next time. All Is right. that? Uh, have you seen? Have you seen the Lost in Space movie? Not the yeah. not the new TV show that's out, but the. So you're talking about the one with uh, Matt LeBlanc as uh, Don West? Yes, that one. Yeah, that, yes. Their ship reminds me of those fighter ships at the beginning of that, that movie. A okay, bit. You're, you're remembering a lot more than I am. <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe I've had too many pain meds over the years, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite remembering that one. Now, that being said, the new series, awesome. I, uh, I've watched it. You watched all of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Spoilers for Lost in Space, if anybody's listening, if they haven't watched it. <laughs> um, we're going to put some heavy spoiler warnings on this episode. Yes. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I'd give it 6.5 out of 10. It was... Uh, I, I wasn't crazy about Parker Posey as Dr. I, Smith. That was my favorite part, really? I thought. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the, the only thing that bugged me about it was just there was too much of um, dire straits that just kept piling on and piling on. You know, somebody's life is in danger, but something else is happening and all this is happening. And it was just like, it seemed like every time that one of them got in trouble, the trouble just seemed to compound upon itself. That was my only complaint with the whole thing. Beyond that, I I love how they handled the robot. I loved what they did with Dr. Smith. 
I, did, I mean, I, I, I like the idea of changing him around because you couldn't have him as the same type of character he had in the original TV show. Uh, I just thought, oh. maybe this was... <laughs> you babbling booby! I'm sorry. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I just wasn't crazy about Parker Posey. The robot I liked, at first I wasn't crazy about it not being their robot, but I understood right. once that once I, they... they uh, in the story, that they that they're just part of a larger group, and there's several people have crashed on the planet. So you couldn't have if every ship had a robot. That right. suddenly, why is your robot become a little more sentient than everybody else's? So it had to be more of an alien robot. So I get that. My biggest complaint was it it was ten episodes, and it basically took ten episodes to get to kind of the premise. It's almost like that whole season was like a preamble to okay, now they're lost in space. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I, I, I had no problem with that. I thought it was a great origin story. Yeah, I mean, um, I, and I, I the the thing was, I I think I really it, you know the, I enjoyed a lot of the uh, the performances in it. The Will the Will Robinson character, um, he's the kid. Good. You know who he reminded me of, and this is so weird. He reminded me of the little boy in the Polar Express, uh, the the Robert Zemeckis animated mm-hmm. movie with Tom Hanks. Never seen it. Where they, where they go to the North Pole. Very good yeah. movie, in my opinion. Um, very good Christmas movie, that mm-hmm. is. Uh, but, and then the uh, guy that played John Robinson. Now, he was Gust of Graves in the James Bond movie, Die Another Day. Um, Pierce Brosnan and Halle Berry, James What's, Bond. Movie. Is that him? Yeah. Holy that crap. Was, uh, the, the guy that was supposed to have been Asian in the beginning of the movie, but got plastic surgery to make him into that. Yeah. It became that was the same guy. Oh. I thought he looked and familiar, but I didn't make that connection. Toby Stevens, I think is his name. And yeah, he, no, but he was really impressive to me in this role I, because here he was. He was he was a man and, you know, he wanted to be the man, but his wife just, you know, she's so outclassed. Well, that, that was <laughs> in my, so that, many ways. That, that's what I didn't like. Why does he have to – why did he have to be – I understand that she's going to be a doctor too because whenever right. they reboot something like that, the – uh, the 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 wife has to be an equal. And I have a problem with that. It's just a, a difference of times. But why do they have you, to make? If you, but if you look at the original Lost in Space, you know, do you know what? Do you know what her job was? She was. Uh, she did laundry and she cooked dinner. That was a pretty. She she was a housewife. Yeah. yeah she was a housewife. Well, and it was it was, it was just basically a complete slam. <laughs> And there you had June Lockhart, who you know was like the grand dame of acting in that day. And what is she just basically making sandwiches? Well, that's again, that's 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 a product of the time, right? But so I don't have a problem with her being the astrophysicist or whatever she was. But why did they have to make him kind of the the dumb military guy? Well, it, why it couldn't he so be? It wasn't that he was a dumb military. No, it wasn't dumb. But. It, it, it was the thing was is that he had been estranged from the family, and he did it as a personal choice. And so that basically he was somebody that that was wanting to make up for a mistake, and yet he, I, I I don't know if you've ever been in a position with somebody where you you you've done them wrong and you're just trying to make up for it, and it never seems like you can do anything to please them mm-hmm. because they're upset with you. So everything yeah. you do, no matter what your motives are, seems to upset them more up until the point where they're no longer mad at you, and then everything's fine. And that's what position he was in. And I thought he did a stellar job 
uh, portraying that. Like, I, if you've ever been in a relationship with a girl where she's ready to break up with you, but you're not ready to break up with her, there's nothing you can do to save that relationship. No, that's 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 my marriage every other day. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, it's a good thing for doesn't listen to the episode. Uh <laughs> No, I, I, I thought they borrowed kind of heavily from that that 1998 movie with him being kind of an absentee father trying to win back his, uh, you know, his relationship with his kids, especially Will. Uh, I just wish they would, instead of him being a, a military guy, and I, why couldn't Don be the military guy? Don's just, I thought Don was cool. I like that character yeah. a lot. I like like what they did with that. Yeah. I I liked actually every every one of the main characters was actually very well thought out, well done. And you know they wanted to throw in the diversity, so they made uh, Judy, you know, African American. They don't really try to explain it. Father. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, did they, they explain yeah. that that was a different the I didn't a different father. Yeah, but it, the the fact was though, while you know John wasn't her birth father, he was her dad. Mm-hmm. And and they made that very clear because she was the one that was on his side from the very beginning. Yeah, and, I, I, uh, I found her a little annoying at first. Uh, just I think because they were quite she hadn't quite found her character yet. But um, and she spent half the first two episodes in the ice. That's true. Okay. <laughs> what what more is there to do? You you get in the ice, you almost die, then you come out, you got PTSD. Yep. Probably what happened. Okay, so uh, do you mind? Let, let's go ahead and get back to the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. We're running out of time yeah. here. And anyway, so Simon's packing up, and the Beast and the Vision are both, you know, sitting there. And I find it interesting, you know, the Vision is hanging out with him instead of, you know, doing whatever with Wanda. And and I, I can understand it, you know, now in later years because you realize that the Vision's got a lot in common with Simon because they his share a brain pattern, right? Or brain the, the, the brain pattern, yeah. But did in your readings of the Avengers, did they really focus on that much before Byrne did it in the West Coast Avengers? Not to my knowledge. I don't think that was ever uh, well, yeah, until kind of Byrne kind of rewrote the Vision's origin in that with uh, yeah. bringing back the original Human Torch. and uh, Yeah, true, true. Yeah. No, I don't think they ever made, they kind of made that connection. Now, the other question I had in this page – now, the the bottom part of the page, of course, is all uh, Wasp and Yellow Jacket. And Yellow Jacket actually has got different hair than everybody else, so he doesn't look like every other blonde guy in the book, which I thought that was really good. And uh, it looks like Byrne gave Wanda some uh, – not Wanda, but uh, Janet some uh, – a lot of attention – to detail and doing her on this page, mm-hmm. this page, this page did seem to get a lot more of Burns' attention than uh, some of the earlier ones, especially you know like the last one that had so many characters on it. Really seemed like he, he let the anchor do most of the work. Yeah, but like this bottom middle shot of Janet, it, it, it in fact, it, 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 um, it really makes me think of the Marvel team up that um, Byrne did with Wasp and Yellow Jacket in that the Equinox story. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Um, Equinox. Uh, I want to. I want to say that that was it, but I'm. I'm trying to make sure. Let me check here. Uh, I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was the Equinox story, and um, that was inked by Dave Hunt. But yeah, it it just seemed like that there was uh, a couple parallels in the image imagery that we see here with them right there and what we saw in that book. I could be wrong mm. though. Well, he he's paid some attention to her 
face. She's kind of lovingly uh, drawn her face to show, you know, there's there's some kind of innocent flirtation going between mm-hmm. the two. Of course, you know, I guess this is I guess this is pre-slap, um, and so but this this page also shows me that I I will always hate the yellow jacket costume. How does he see around those things? <laughs> I mean, his head is like right between them. So you look left, look right. You got blinders on. Well, that's why he can focus on what's ahead. It's purposely <laughs> done that way. It's like a, it's like horse blinders. He doesn't get distracted. <laughs> and uh, then again, uh, of course, on the next page, you know, Hank is in their version of the danger room. Yep. Uh, you know, demonstrating that he can turn one arrow into three, and just like in the West Coast Avengers, Wanda walks up to him without announcing herself. And <laughs> you remember what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Burns' very first issue of West Coast Avengers, he wa- she walked into the, the field and he didn't know it was her. And he shot at her, but she used her hex power to bring it down. And so at the bottom of this page, we see the Guardians all flying off in different directions. Starhawk is flying off. Moondragon is hard to see at the top right of the panel, but there she is flying off. Yeah, you get Miss Marvel, uh, Marvel. Yep. And Hercules, Black Widow, and who else is in there with them? Who else is from the champions? Um, I can't tell who that is. Yeah, it's, uh, let me see if I can. I, I got to go back to the big picture to see if I can figure out who it is. Is that a champions? It's not a champions car, is it? Yeah, it's a flying car that that they used in champions. Well, why does it have uh, like a, a a fox head or something in front of it? Is that what is that? Oh, I don't know. That's a good. Oh wait, that's that's T'Challa then. Oh, it? okay, that's Black Panther's car. So he's, he's just them giving home. them a ride back. Yeah, he's giving okay. That I guess makes kind of sense, so to speak. Yep. And then on the next page, they've miscolored the vision. His head. It's got a weird in in the book. It's got a yellow glow, which is really weird. Oh. You figured that they would have paid much more attention to that. No, mine doesn't. Mine looks fine. This looks interesting. Really? Yeah. The, the, the vision's head is the top of Vision's head is yellow. No, mine's green. They must have miscolored it on yours. Wow. Um, let me see here how it looks in the uh, in this one here. Yeah, it's green in the in the uh, scanned book. Yeah, it's just my uh, my book. Huh, and then of course Wanda, of course, is it does her little fall down, and uh, Doctor Blake comes, you know, with the help of his shillelagh. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I think of when I see a stick of wood like that. And um, that that's when he tells them that he finally got his test results back. That um, that you know the heartbeat heart doesn't beat, and yet the body stays oxygenated and, and fresh. So they're not neither dead nor living. Yeah, they're almost like in stasis. Yeah, but but he he could have told that earlier, couldn't he? Well, you could certainly the tell. The heart's not beating, but they're still warm. He certainly could tell the heart's not beating. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course we see here Django, which we don't know his name yet, um, going to the same hotel that Tom Hanks went to in Big, I guess because it's religious. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he then pulls out the little cages that have Wando and Wanda and Pietro as little Pinocchios, complete with little red circles on the face. Yep, they're more like yeah, like marionettes. And that's a great shot. I love the close up of the of the face. Um, 
I'm not crazy about the glow around the cages, but um, yeah, I like his little uh, drawings of the two kind of like that, said marionettes. That, that just gives you the whole feeling of of the magic. Yeah, that there's that there's definitely right. some there's, magic there's something or something there, right? Definitely. And this goes into a whole storyline with them. Uh, spoilers for the next series of books. That turns out this guy is their adopted father. Right. Right. And they are not. And I, I guess I didn't know this until I started reading a little backstory of this. Because I didn't realize at one point where they they determined that they were not mutants. That they were actually had been monkeyed with by the high evolutionary. High evolutioner. The high evolutionary and the of Wendigore. So they were, I guess but, they were, he toyed no, with this, this story actually cemented the fact that they were mutants and that they were the children of Magneto. This story? Yeah, the, the whole Knights of Wendigore, you, you go up into, they go up into the mountain. Uh, Pietro runs into Bova, the, the cow woman. Mm-hmm. She was Magda's uh, wet nurse. What do, you, what, do you, what do you call that? Uh, midwife. Midwife, who gave birth to Wanda and Pietro. Now, Magda was the lady that ran away from Magneto after he killed all the people when they found out what his power was. Well, I thought, and that's what I always thought, assumed, that he was their father. But if, right. But according to this, in the next series of books, mm-hmm. that they follow him back to his homeland, to, you know, to, once they get back in their regular bodies and right. everything's all over and done, he, they go back with him to basically research what he claims that he's their father. Right. And it turns out that it said that they were taken as babies by the high, high evolutioner. They, and he, I guess toyed with, did something to their genetics or did something to them. And for some reason he was disappointed in the way he was, whatever he was trying to make, he was disappointed in what, how they turned out. And he get, he turned them into, he returned them to be kind of, people would think of them as just mutants, even though he kind of created them. And, um, Django raised them. So maybe I'm off, but that's what, that's what Wikipedia says. Yeah, well, Wikipedia is going from rewritten and rewritten history. Right. Because all that has been rewritten. It's been rewritten so that they're not the children of Magneto anymore. So as it stands now... That, not- that was a retcon, though. That wasn't the real... You know, that wasn't the intention of what they were doing here. Right. When when Byrne was drawing Quicksilver, he was drawing him as the son of Magneto. Right. So as it stands now, in mm-hmm. 2018... Is I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who is my daddy, and what does he do? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, in the Marvel 616 universe, and that's the main Marvel universe that we know of, mm-hmm. Magneto's the father of, of, of Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. If that's been changed, you know, I don't know. I don't care. That, it can always get changed back. Well, that's certainly how it is. As, in... as Emily Middleton would put it, it's not my head. It's not what's in my head canon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because this makes too much sense. But, you know, all, all it says is, God, I want to read the rest of them now. I want to go back and, and go through all those again. And I've got this book here, which is uh, very nice. I just don't have the right chair to sit in on a nice, lazy day. I need to get I need to get me a nice, lazy boy. And, you know, it's just finding where I'm going to put it in the house is another matter because we gave up a room for my in-laws. We've turned that into the in-laws room. We kicked them out. Because <laughs> that, that, that used to be my office. Now, my office here, I'm still trying to, to figure out how I want to lay it out. I've given my wife a corner for a desk. 
which I could have put a lazy boy in. And then I got bookshelves full of all my books, a scanning station, and then my workstation here. Mm -hmm. And so, like, even the, the, the office chair that I have here is nice and comfy, but I don't want to sit there and read comic books in it. Anyway, uh, what'd you think of the book? I I liked it. It was uh, like I said, it's the first time to read it. I it it's and it, I spoiled everything for you, didn't I? I just ruined all that for no, you. No, 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 no. You didn't. You didn't. Uh, I don't think you said anything to me about it before I started reading it. Well, no. What I mean is, is the next the next ten issues. This, no, this, I kind of I, I kind of looked ahead and saw what I what was coming after. So I kind of uh, I kind of peeked at some of the issues. Um, because I was looking at, because Burns kind of scattered throughout. Not all of them are burned, but he's got, uh, I think, a big chunk of the ones that are coming next. Um, no, he's in. He's the next ten issues. Now, is this solid issue, the next ten issues, one eighty one through one ninety one is burned. Oh, I thought for some. And then after that, you get a lot of Perez and some Infantino, but one eighty one through one ninety one is burned. And then for whatever reason, I haven't looked yet to see why he. He stopped, and I, I'm wondering if it's Roger Stern went on to start writing Spider-Man, so he gave up the editorial position. Good day. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's a good average book. I mean, it's not. I mean, it does. It sets up a lot of stuff that I, I can't call it average. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, in in this period of time, I can't call anything that Byrne did from the point where he started working on the X-Men up until he left Marvel. I can't call any of it average. It's all above average. Too. Well, artwork, that, that's art, just yeah, art, well, no, artwork aside, I, I won't call the art at, uh, the art average at all. The artwork right. is, is is beautiful. And it's great. It's but there is you know it's a sure it's a visual medium, but it, it has to have a story that goes with it. And the story is coming off our our last issue where we read that Hulk annual. That was just so much fun. This yes. is more business like. This is kind of this is. Uh, what people would like would call the prequels. This is a lot of talk and not a lot of action, and just you know, it's interesting kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a downtime issue between the action books. Yeah, it's a lot of administrative work. Right, right. I, I mean, I didn't mind it myself. I like that day in the life kind of stuff. Um, I like that in the Avengers, and I like that because you know David McElhaney, uh did a lot of the writing chores between here. And the all the way to the early two hundreds, and, and I, I love—I normally love his his work. I like that the writing is not bad. I think it's just yeah. it's what it has to do. It's almost like a, a stopgap between what came before and what's going to come after. Kind of like I said, it's setting stuff up. It's place setting. So yeah. uh, it's clearing the table. Exactly, it's exactly what it's doing. It's kind of like I said, it's doing administrative work here. So. The thing is, is that normally when they do this, you always get the old order changes because, mm -hmm. you know, they're changing the, the adventures thing. And I, I'd seen a couple issues, you know, of that over the years. And I always looked forward to those. But, you know, they didn't actually say that in this. It was just more of a, we got to do this. Well, it was forced upon them. Because usually in those books, it's something's happened and several team members, team members, members <laughs> are yeah. leaving for some reason. And yeah. then, okay, well, we got to fill the gap. So, hey, you know. You helped us out in this last adventure. Why don't you be an Avenger now? Okay, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll come in and, and hang out with you guys for a while. Uh, it's funny to read this where they're limiting their membership because, as it stands now, I think everybody in the Marvel Universe is an Avenger. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that, that the the fans today are spoiled in a bit that there is such a 
a, a large number of artists that are giving good styles of work out today. Mm-hmm. And when we were reading these books in the 60s, and, and not 60s, but the 70s and the 80s, that you had several top-tier artists like Byrne and Neil Adams and others, Mike Golden and, and you know a couple others. And then you had the guys that just were able to do that Marvel style and I think Sal Basima is like that. You know, he was the consistent guy. You know, mm-hmm. he was that that one guy that that was a good example of those. That that Mike Esposito and uh, uh, there was a couple others in there that they they could just sit there and put stuff out. You know, every day and it was cool. Well, Al Milgram, he was always like, oh, we need some some guy to fill. You know, he's kind of the last minute guy, and he would come in and do stuff. Yeah, I, I was never a fan of Al's work. I, you know, at least as, as as far as his detail, his his detail wasn't good. He did good covers, and uh, he knows how to tell a story. That much is certain. But uh, his detail work always always suffered for me. But you know, the thing was, what, what my point is is like you know, you got if you didn't have Burn, you got a lot. There was a lot of other artists. And if you look at the issues before this. Um, before they were in the, the meat of the Corvac saga, you had a lot of Carmine Infantino. What was the guy's name? Wetzel, and and a couple other guys in there doing artwork that you know you don't see their names in the comic book industry anymore. And there's a good reason for that. Huh. I mean, it just it wasn't it wasn't great. You know, I mean, you you had guys out there like Gil Kane and Ross Andrew that 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 were consistent that did good anatomy. And then you had a lot of other guys that, that weren't necessarily as good. Now, as far as Trimpy goes, I like Trimpy's work as far as the bodies and, and everything. The anatomy was okay. It was always the faces that bothered me. I, it took me a while to appreciate Trimpy. I, I used to kind of yeah. lump him, I hate to say it, with Al Milgram. Uh, I, I lumped him with George Tesca. Yeah, and see, I never heard anything, anything good about Tesca. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but it took me a while to kind of read some tripping out and I will give full credit to that to Jason, um, Luke Giaconetti in his coverage of the Shogun Warriors, which there is an ad in, in the yeah. Godzilla, which is a Shogun Warriors ad in this uh, book we're looking at. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, Doug Minch and uh, trippy, I think did both of those all the way through. And it was through his coverage that I went back and was reading him as he would cover him in his show that I grew to an and early trippy Hulk to, to appreciate uh, his work and, and I think you hit on a good point that some artists that aren't as flashy yeah but can tell a good story because you can be a great artist but if you can't tell a story it's just it's just unconnected pretty pictures that was that was my big complaint with Mark Silvestri yeah. all along he chased me away from the X-Men you know and, and that that 220 230 realm of mm-hmm. the X-Men uh because I'd been reading up till then, but I just could not stand his storytelling ability in those books. And of course, years later, I hear people just singing his praises about what a great artist he is. And you you, you see the stories like the Living Monolith, uh, and and other things that he did outside of X Men, and his stuff looks beautiful. But is he able to tell a sequential story? I don't know. He wasn't able to to do that very well during the accident. And that, I wonder if that has to do with having to have either a strong editor or a strong writer to uh, kind of guide them as to what they're drawing. I mean, I'm sure there are some artists that they can give well, the the bare minimum of a story outline and produce something great. And well, others, you, you'd sit there and you look at Chris Claremont's run on the X Men, 
you know, when for when first he's on there, you got Dave Cockrum, and there there's something in there, and it it you know Cockrum knows how to tell a story, but you know the the thing was the characters weren't necessarily as compelling as they got once Byrne came in, and then all of a sudden the characters were all so varied and so different, and it was so obvious how different they were, you know. Yeah, and then. And then when you follow that up and you've got, you know, Cockroom comes back, but then you get Paul Smith, who, while he had different models for all his characters, Kitty Pride stopped being Sigourney Weaver and now she's Brooke Shields. <laughs> and Madeline Pryor, who's supposed to look like Jean Grey, doesn't look like Jean Grey at all. She'll look like Julianne Moore. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 these artists came in and they were great storytellers. And then John Romita Jr. came in and John Romita Jr. is an awesome storyteller. Yep. You know, and then so you got these guys working with Claremont and they're able to create a cohesive story. You can see exactly where everything's going from one panel to the next. But once you get someone to come in, like, and the ones that always bugged me was Brett Blevins and and Mark Silvestri. And the, the, the storytelling elements really took a, a went by the wayside and you got more action poses. Yeah, I can't. But, I can't argue with that. I've always thought Brett, Brett Blevins had more sort of a cartoony look to him, especially right with the eyes. That always bugged me. I thought I was looking at Velociraptors or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, also, in this in this issue, did you did you see the uh, the hostess ad? The Hulk one. Yeah. Yes. The Hulk changes his mind. Now, is that Sal Basima? Let me get to it and look at it. I was pretty sure that, that was Sal Basima. It sure looks like him. I mean, look at the Hulk's mouth, that grimace. Yep. That looks like the Hulk. I mean, that looks like... And this is probably before his his final style. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely... I mean, it looks like it was made back into that, that house style that they always did for the hostess things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even the people are a complete caricature rather than people. But uh, yeah, as as a yeah, I I didn't know if your scan had the had the ad in there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I've got the the, the Bolton. I've got there's a <laughs> there's a great ad for Power Man and Iron, Power Man and Iron Fist and Battlestar Galactica and yeah, Battlestar in the bullet, in the bullpen, bullpen bulletin there. there. Yeah. Um, now again, I I didn't find this ad in the books that I was looking at. Neither the scan or and obviously not in the big book. That I've got here, the the nice John Byrne hardback. Um, I had to go and find this in an issue of Amazing Spider-Man 190, hmm. which came out the same. That was the um, the Man Wolf, the Man, the Man Wolf story. Yeah. And oh yeah, inker on that was Jim Mooney. I, 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 hmm. But yeah, so that was uh, um, that. And I was trying to see what else was out there. Yeah, they had that nice big uh, ad for. For that, but it's weird because it looks like some of the artwork is John Byrne and some of it's Gil Kane on that Power Man Iron Fist ad. I've always wondered about that. It didn't look. Like yeah, see, nothing, nothing's, is... nothing's, nothing's really well. Now that you say Gil Kane, I'm starting to see it in their faces. Yeah, but Misty looks like John Byrne right there. Yeah, but her mouth is not quite Byrne mouth. Mm. It's not quite, uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know who. I wonder who did this. Uh, I don't know who was drawing at the time. That's uh, a, it wasn't Greg LaRock. He came in later. 
Because this would have been issue 51, really. Yeah, because 50 is when they went to, when Iron Fist came on, right? Because yeah. it was just Power Man. And, and 50 was Burn. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, oh, Mike Zeck and Ernie Chan. I don't think they did that. Okay, so yeah, that cover, that's Dave Cockrum. That's Cockrum? It says the cover art is Dave Cockrum. I'm sorry, that does not look like Dave Cockrum to me. No, it looks, doesn't look, the inking doesn't look as heavy and thick as it is on Cockrum stuff. Right. And I like Cockrum, I like his his work a lot. Um, he's probably, he's got, the thing is, his pencils look so much better than the finished art ever does. And I, I think that, that he's one of those artists where, you know, great disservice is done to him mm-hmm. because of the way he does his pencils. So, um, but yeah, and, and that that bit of art there, that is so different. I never would have uh, never would have pictured it as Dave Cockrum art. No, but, and, but, but again, but it makes sense now because in Burns' early days at Marvel, they would have Dave Cockrum come over and, and redraw the faces on a lot of his work. On Burns stuff? Yes. So that that makes a little sense here that I would sit there and mistake Misty's face at least for, for a, a burn, burn face. For yeah. A burn, yeah, burn face. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you learn something every day now, yep. huh? That's, Our show's educational, too. That's right. And uh, now knowing is half the battle, so... And as you have noticed, we're not afraid to admit when we're wrong. No, we're often wrong. I'm I'm very often wrong. Hey, but that's what that's what the you know the computers are for. If you're you know if you look some yep. up, you look some up. Well, yeah, you got no. any? Uh, There's one last thing. One last thing. note here that I just I don't understand, and that is the uh, the letters page. Um, it says that Jim Salakrup's assistant editor credit was taken taken. Oh, it's taken from the letters page. So I guess that's where they first announced that he was assistant editor. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about Jim Salakrup, he actually became the editor of X-Men during the Burn Claremont era. He was sneaky Salakrup, as you might have heard. Because <laughs> he would sit there and he would find the most obscure thing to put point back to when he would give one of his little uh, asterisks in the story. But uh, he was pretty good at pointing things out, especially – he was the one, I believe, that pointed out to the editor of what the not not wasn't what the what was the, it was the no prize book um, that Chris that Chris Claremont you know makes the the comment of Mastermind not actually having a name and then says that no Jason Wingard actually is his real name yeah <laughs> even though he, he that's not his real name after all so but it was uh yeah Jim Salakrup that pointed that out as I understood it and I miss that kind of stuff in modern comics. Mm. I mean, to me, I thought that one, it, it explains, it helps the reader, and right. it's 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 a great gimmick because I'm reading along, blah blah blah. Oh, you were interested in this? This happened in Thor number one fifty eight. Well, I go better go find that one, and you're gonna go try to but find it. Again, it doesn't benefit the comic book com- company because it, sorry, be, sold. True. You go buy True. yeah, you go buy a back, back issue, and also if you're reading in a trade. Um, it, it also, you know, it's like, cause you may be reading a trade that, it, that, that thing will point towards back to, or whatever. Cause usually when you got those things, it was only pointing back a couple issues mm-hmm. towards something that, that we had just read re- rather yeah. recently. Whereas Jim Salakrup could sit there and go back 150 well, issues. Well, it also, to me, it also helped when I was first reading kind of, when I first started getting into comics and I had a lot of the little digest books, mm-hmm. like the first six Fantastic Four issues. I read that thing over and over and over. 
And yeah. when they make notes in that, it helps. It help. It help kind of connect the world of Marvel because they're referencing yes. Thor and Spider Man, or they're referencing Fantastic Four and Avengers. So that it it helps. Oh, these guys are all in the same place and they're all connected. So that would help with the world building. No, and that that is you know, and that's of course one of those great things from this era of Marvel Comics is that. When you were reading X-Men or you were reading Avengers or you were reading Spider-Man, you were still seeing tastes of other parts of the Marvel Universe. And they were very good about doing that. I don't know about today in the Marvel Universe. I'm hearing some really bad things about the Marvel Universe. I'm not even – to me it just seems like event after event after event after relaunch after relaunch. you know, just a little while ago, I was talking about the quality of the artists that are out today, but they're not working at Marvel. No, they're all doing their independent stuff. But because all they're getting is glorified stick figures at Marvel right now, or or, or things that are not, you know, a little too cartoony. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, again, I can't. I, I don't know that I can sit there and complain a whole lot because I'm not buying new books. No, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm buying I'm, I'm, Spider-Man. That's the only thing I'm still buying. Yeah, I'm buying these nice big, you know, things, and I'm buying, you know, other stuff. I'm trying to find a good bound issue of Oh Hot Move Volume Two. Anyway, um, do you have any last thoughts on uh, on this book? Uh, no, I'm glad you picked it. It's, it's I'm always glad when you pick stuff that I haven't read because it, it's you know exposes me to stuff that I I should have read years ago. Uh, it's you know I'd recommend anybody to read it. One, if you love Burn, it's a good story. If you like the Avengers, it's it's an interesting story because it's not a lot of run, punchy, punchy, run, run. Um, mm. It's a lot of, you know, kind of uh, setting up and, and, like I said, administrative stuff. But it's not a bad book in any in any, uh, in any way, shape, or form. It's just... What do you think... How okay do you think book. this book would do for a first-time reader? If they pick this book as the first Marvel comic book they're going to read, are they going to be just completely lost they might be a little bit because this is you're changing. I mean, you're introducing a lot of characters, and then you're and a lot of them are exiting, and a lot of them are staying. Yeah. So, um, but I, uh, you know, the, I don't know how they're writing books now, but it used to be, you know, every book could be someone's first book. So they had to kind of lay the groundwork a little bit. I, you know, I, I think you could pick up any. I think you could pick this book up as, as, as a – I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. If like, oh, I want to read The Avengers. Don't start with this one. But if somebody well, just picked it up and read it, I, I think they could follow along what's going on and then, you know, want to pick up the other ones. If this was my first comic book, or my first Marvel book, and I'm reading it, I'm going, okay, well, where's the next book in the Wonder Man story? Because this was definitely uh, – there was a lot more character development for Wonder Man. Mm-hmm. Than for virtually any other character in this issue, and he's yeah, and he's gone. I mean, he flies and, off. Yeah, and he's gone. And that's a, yeah, he's he's out of there. He's yeah, a ghost. He's yeah. Casper. And and you know, Wonder Man had a one shot that came out. I think that same year that was written by David Michelini, if I'm right. And the artwork I think was Brent Anderson or uh, who was it that was doing the? You know, Ron Wilson, mm-hmm. I think, is who did the artwork on it, and. Um, uh, it wasn't anything to write write home about. I think it was in Marvel Premiere that I saw that. Um, so it's, it is sometime around this. And, of course, I, I think there was some continuity because McLaney was doing the, the Ant-Man stuff as well, mm-hmm. if I remember right. So there, there was a little bit of continuity there. But Wonder Man did not get a whole lot to do 
around here until the wackos came about. Yeah. And he did that. Now, if you're paying attention to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Wonder Man is everywhere. Are you catching any of that? If you'd sit there and you do a nice Google search on uh, MCU Simon Williams, they've got a bunch of pictures of movie posters and other things. Simon Williams has been in all these movies, and it's Nathan Fillion. Oh, is, okay. Is, is Simon Williams. You know, They're not saying that he's Wonder Man. So he's an actor, but he's in these movies, and they're just in the background and stuff. Right. Oh, that's right. cool. That's cool. I'm going to look out for those. Yeah. Um, one last thing, uh, that I gotta say, and it's separated from the book is that I found a coloring book, a Marvel coloring book. Uh, and I posted up, uh, some of the, some of the images in Facebook, uh, not too long ago, uh, but only on my page. I should have put it, um, on, I may have put it on the Choo Choo Freaks Cantina, but, um, there was one, it was the, co- the, the cover of the issue where the Scarlet Witch has been taken over by Mordred the Mystic. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it's that particular cover where she's got the Avengers all upside down. Right. And it's in the coloring book. That's cool. You can actually get that and color that page. It's also got a lot of the Perez pages, including the cover of this issue here that we just covered. And the Alan, some of the Alan Davis work and, Mm. uh, you know, just a lot of stuff from all around uh, various different eras. But there's uh, plenty of stuff from the 70s and 80s as well as the 90s. And That'd later. be cool. I've heard it's it's a, it's an eight dollar book. That's not bad. I've heard Color, people, yeah. uh, and I can't know who to credit this to, but he would give his kids uh, Marvel Essentials to color because those are black and white, and they just color yeah. the actual actual comics. That makes me that makes me cry a little bit because <laughs> you know Burns' art in black and white is really beautiful. And we saw that when we read OMAC. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him come uh, revisit OMAC. That would be kind of, if he'd ever, I know he never will, but it'd be nice to kind of do either more black and white prestige work or uh, even some color stuff. But You know, you had mentioned, you know, the other playgrounds like, like um, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. And I, I would even like to see him do something like Tarzan. Or a, a do a real John Carter book. Now that would be cool. I really yes. love to see him do a John Carter in a very retro kind of style. That and if, if if you guys don't know anything about John Carter, John Carter, of course, is one of the um, the brainchilds of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And there was a movie a couple years back uh, did not do very well. In fact, it was one of the major bombs of of that year. But the movie is actually pretty decent. It is pretty good. And the thing is, is that Burroughs wrote this in the 1800s, the late 1800s. He created these characters. These are the characters that helped Siegel and Schuster create Superman, made them think about a man could break the bounds of Earth's gravity because he's so much stronger than everybody else. That's what John Carter is. We wouldn't have Avatar. We wouldn't have a lot of these other things. We wouldn't have a lot of the comic book characters that we have. If it hadn't been for John Carter, so that being said, you know that's 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 all I got to say. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> the dog yeah. is uh, the dog is giving me the eyeballs, so I got to go take her for a walk. Um, One last thing, um, we had talked about doing, and I've already been doing my research on this, and that is Burns' effect upon the cinematic mm-hmm. 
world. And I'm not just talking the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the current DC Cinematic Universe. I'm talking going all the way back to the 80s. And I've come across a lot of things. I think we, we would have a lot to talk about. So uh, I think our overall impression was you liked it a little more than I did. I thought it's a good, solid story. It's well worth uh, reading for either if you're a Avengers fan or if you're certainly if you're a Burn fan, read anything Burn does. Uh, and it definitely lays the groundwork for the next several issues. Yeah, exactly. It definitely, it definitely. So, uh, I and I think that that when you sit there and you look at the the first Avengers movie that came out just you know six years ago, mm-hmm. that it calls back to this era of the Avengers. In, in a lot of ways. Oh, exactly. Jer- Guy Rich is a lot like uh, uh, Ross, Thunderbolt Ross and mm-hmm. uh, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Very similar about them, the government coming in and basically, uh, you know, kind of running roughshod over the Avengers and saying, you know, you're going to do what we want you to do. But Yep. Yep. All righty. Well, I guess that's it. That, that, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. I had a great time oh, tonight. It was. It was great. It always, it's always fun to sit down and talk some comics. It's a shame that we have to stop and, you know, go back to the real world. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that being said, uh, I'm Tim Elliott for Third Degree Burn. And I'm Brian Hughes. Take care. Have fun. Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Alright, I'll be me.